Welcome to Home Gym History. My name is Rob, and if this is the first time you're tuning in, this is the podcast all about not just the home gym, but where the items came from that you have gotten so used to. And I am so lucky to have Bert Soren on the podcast tonight. Welcome, Bert. Hey, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's really cool. I got I got following you guys a while ago, and uh, I love the content. It's kind of funny. It's something I wished was out there years ago. I was like, it'd be cool if someone would like catalog all this stuff because <laughs> there's so much interesting Iron Game history. Um, but really up until recently, it was so such a very few group of people that really cared. Um, sure. So I'm really pumped to see like this new generation of people like really getting into it and cataloging some of this. This is awesome what you're doing. So thank you for doing it. I appreciate it. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of great information out there and a lot of good sources out there, but I, I I, I know what you mean. Uh, when I try to research something, when I try to get into something, a lot of times there's a lot of patchwork and kind of stitching it together to try to make sense of it. So what right. we'll be making sense of tonight <laughs> and the impetus of this is the landmine attachment because I, you know, I'm looking around my home gym and just thinking about things that I like to use and things that I don't really know the history of. I started digging into the landmine and it quickly led me right back to sorenex.com. And when I looked on there, I thought, oh, it says they invented it. So then I noticed Bert on Instagram, and we messaged a little bit, and here we are. But the cool thing about it, listeners, is that the landmine, as I was just saying to Bert before we started recording, gives a great segue just into his career and his <laughs> life. So, you know, getting into Sorenex, if you don't know, if you've been living in a cave, listeners, Sorenex is a leading you know, manufacturer of lifting equipment. If you go back to my episode on the history of the blob and modern grip training, I gave him a little history of Sorenex as well as Richard Soren, which is Bert's father. And then now Bert is the current president and co-owner of Sorenex. So Bert, the landmine, where sure. does that come from? Where is, what's the story behind it? Yeah, that's interesting. Cause kind of going back to what you're saying about the blob, like we we're, we're inventors, pops and I are inventors just not by, I guess by profession, because I guess we get paid for it. But that was like, it's never like we didn't go to adventure school or whatever. We just like <laughs> making things generally better that's in our surroundings, right? And then, but if you were to tell me, hey, you need to make a better refrigerator, I, I, I will never be able to do that. I don't, I don't know about it. I don't care about it. I don't think about it. I don't dream about it. Like there's nothing there. But, uh, Generally, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So much like the blob, back in the day, I, I, didn't, I haven't had a chance to listen to the episode, but, you know, Pops was, he had a bent 100-pound uh, York dumbbell that he actually got from, I think it was a local YMCA. They gave them to him because the handles were bent, and one actually broke off, and it just sat in his garage for years. And one day, he would always try to move it around. He was like, the freaking thing is just in the way. Yeah. And so he would try to pick it up, and after a while, I was like, wow, this is, like, really, really, really hard to pick up one-handed. So he just tried for years and years and finally, which to me, that's the craziest part because prior to that, there was no one that could do it. So it wasn't even a thing. So that's the, I mean, now I feel like a hundred people have done it. Now trying it is like not a novel task anymore. Whereas like, oh yeah, that was just that thing in our garage that was in the way. Yeah. And then it became a training device. But so to kind of segue to the landmine. So 1999, um, I had just graduated from the University of South Carolina as a hammer thrower. And I decided to, I come come on full time at Sorenex. I decided to uh, 
compete and attempt to uh, make the Olympic team for the 2000 Olympic team. So I was training that, that first year out of college unattached. And my regular lifting numbers were good and good enough what I thought to, you know, throw relatively far. But, you, you know, you're always flipping over every rock trying to find what's that missing link. What's that, you know, you have a 600-pound squat or you have a this or you have there's like, okay, yeah. so these prerequisites are there. But, like, my sport is rotational. It's, it's a different skill set than a regular, like, um, you know, regular lifting. So I was always kind of looking for that, that little piece. And two athletes were friends of mine, one being Susie Powell, who was also a discus thrower at um, UCLA. She was the American record holder at the time. And she said, we used to take this bar and shove it in the corner and we would do all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a cool exercise. So I'd play with that. And then Judd Logan, my mentor, one of my mentors, he would do them as well. And a, and a, and a Mexican coach named Nino taught him to him and he was like i don't know we just call him ninos and i was like okay cool so i was so one day i walked in and, and to the gym and i was like pops like i want to do this exercise and then we literally looked around the gym and in our gym little section where we would do the most training there was just like crap everywhere actually there was an oxygen tank in the corner <laughs> because after heavy sets of squats or like big sets we would sit down and, and hit oxygen that's awesome. uh, which is wild. So the oxygen tank was in the corner. So there's <laughs> there nowhere to put the bar. Yeah. And it was just crazy. So Pops and I were sitting there. I was like, I want to so, be able to do this. Wait a minute. Ahead, this like, gym that you're talking about, was that like the garage gym at your dad's place? Or is this at the Sornex no, facility? No, Where is this gym? Yeah, no, that's that's good. So this was like, uh, this would have been 1999, but we were the same gym called Irmo Sports Gym. And so okay. that was... Pops had the Sornex showroom in the, in the Irmo Sports Gym, which that's the gym I grew up in. It was a public gym. Everyone thought Pops owned it, but he didn't because he was like the most like the character of the place. And that was our showroom, blah, blah, blah. So the back corner, we had all the pump jacks and we had, you know, powerlifting team was there and we would have oxygen tanks. I mean, I remember like in 1980s, like random oxygen tanks back there. But anyway, so, yeah. so that's where I would train when I would come home uh, from college. And then when I was professional, I was training out there. Gotcha. So I didn't, I really didn't have a place to put the bar and it was a metal building. So you would just destroy the, the wall anyway, yeah. if you put a bar. And I remember it was like that long. I remember Pops <laughs> just looking down and he's like, he's like, Hey, uh, I was like, yeah, I need like something that like pivots. And he was like, Oh yeah. Take the universal joint off of the, uh, off the spider row throw a piece of a pipe on it and drop it in the power link platform. And it was like, that was it. Like it there was it yeah. 10 seconds. And I was like, okay, cool. So we went out in the shop, we built it, we dropped it in the, the power link platform had a, a, a socket. Mm -hmm. We dropped a two by two tubing tightener knob. And that's what, what I used for the next year. And it was never really intended for human for like, customer consumption it was just my secret weapon that's what i and... think is the coolest thing about the story <laughs> is that i mean it wasn't like you know guys sitting around brainstorming people thinking no. okay what's the market really need right now like where, no. where can we really find our you know next product it was just like you said the mother of you know invention is necessity it, it's so, something it's you needed. so funny yeah because it's so funny the, the products that we've had that have had the biggest impact have always been things that literally took about 10 minutes. And it was just, it was like, oh, this is super needed. Let's ba let's build it. And looking back, and we never looked for the white space, you know, mm -hmm. they say in the, in the industry or anything like that. 
And so literally I made one and I was, and I started, you know, doing twists and then I started playing with rotational cleans and then you started pressing like, oh, this feels cool. And there's the stability aspect. And then we would come sideways and do snatches. And we started just playing. We're like, man, this thing is really versatile. Like you can do a lot of stuff on this. I am very limited as a thrower. I threw in high school. Okay. And, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, so, it, you know, very limited. I didn't throw past high school, but even back, it was in the nineties. So before this yeah. was developed and just thinking about it. I mean, as soon as I got my first landmine years later, I, I remember thinking to myself like, Oh, this would have been handy. Like where, where was right? this when I was in high school? Like this would have been awesome. A hundred percent. That was why it was so like, duh, like yeah. really. And then like you could load it, but you're not having to hold the load. So like the, and we, we just kind of started playing with it every day. And it's like, this thing is really cool. So for the first year or two, it was just a, an attachment to our platforms. And then a few customers saw it. They go, well, I want one. But if they didn't have our platforms, it was kind of about out to lunch. So uh, Pops literally drew on a piece of paper, the one that looked like a, ha like a, la like a home base. Yeah. And it was so you could shove it in the corner or you could shove it against something straight. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, it's like a home base. And everyone just started calling the home base landmine. And that was yeah. the the one that everyone had, right? Or copied at least. And so then it kind of gave landmine training to people who didn't already have our gear. Then when we came out with the base camp rack in 2007 or eight, which was like the rig system, that was when we came with four way holes, we brought that to the industry and that kind of retooled the whole industry. The obvious choice was well, it already has a, an inch and a 16th hole in it. The, the shaft is an inch for the landmine. Well, now you can move the landmine not only laterally, but vertically as well. So we started load parameter in different ways. And then just like, well, why have to bolt it on when you could put it anywhere? So like that was kind of the rig system base camp was kind of, a, I would say, the iPhone of its era in the because all of a sudden now you can get apps. You gotcha. can get accessories versus custom pieces so mm -hmm. it kind of you know that landmine kind of vein has has been in our arsenal for a minute it makes sense i mean it, it opened up to almost an a la carte kind of situation where you can yeah. just pick and choose and piece together what fits sure. your fitness style what fits your lifting sure it and it's interesting because i've talked to some people and they go wow if you really got into the fitness community within the last 10 years you weren't around when that wasn't like the obvious thing. You know, it's like if you're a kid and you grew up on iPhone, like, oh, we had these things called Nextels prior to that. You know, like, yeah. um, and so it's it's funny when I'll go back and see some of our old designs from the '90s or early 2000s. Like, holy crap! Like, how are we strong? You know, of course, like obviously it's hard work, but you just sure. like it's so limited. Um, yeah, I mean, when I find certain things like the old squat stands, the York squat stands and stuff like that, yeah. or even just an old bench that was for home gym use, I'm, I know that like, you know, like we were saying, you do what you need to do. So people would weld much sturdier bench frames and things. But when yeah. I find some of the home gym products of, uh, you know, a couple decades ago, I think, oh my gosh, like how did these companies yeah. not find themselves under lawsuits left and right? Like people oh. killed themselves. Well, it was the Wild West in that 80s, yeah. 80s, early 90s. I mean, you got to remember that was, you know, really no internet per se, you know. So we figured the landmine was, and landmine and almost the base camp rack was prior to YouTube or social media. So th that, that was just a different era. It was a different time of life, which was, 
you know, interesting in itself, but everything just spread so fast now. I mean, it, it took years, honestly, to get the landmine as something that people knew what it was, where I wasn't known as, because after a while, it was like, I was known as the landmine guy. So, because <laughs> I was always demoing the landmine at conferences, and be like, oh, the landmine guy. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's pretty pigeonholed. Like, it's a product, it's cool, but okay. Uh, I guess it's better to be known for something than nothing, but. Uh, well, I'm going to send you some business cards now that say that. <laughs> the landmine guy, that'd yeah, be great. landmine guy. That'd be awesome. But, uh, I'm sure uh, people have done a lot better with the landmine than I ever did. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the kind of thing that, it, like you pointed out, we're in a whole different era where social media and all this kind of stuff. I was just saying on a recent episode, the double-edged sword of it, that it's, it's mm -hmm. good sometimes, it's bad sometimes for various reasons in terms of your confidence or in terms of um, education. You know, you, <laughs> sometimes people put stuff out there that's so far off base, but it's mm -hmm. so convincing the way it's filmed that I even find yeah. myself kind of questioning, wait a minute. Am I doing this wrong? And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I know better. Like, I'm, I'm right. all right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's weird. It's like the people usually with, uh, I, not always, I don't mean to offend anyone, but like there's a, like the best coaches in the world have very few followers. Yeah. Now there's a few that like really are crushing it and doing a great job, but like the real Yodas yeah. are like, they're like, Insta what? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? I'm coaching athletes. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, well, you even, don't care about um, all this. My previous episode uh, to this one is with Zach Evanesh oh. and he's a well-known coach and just a, a font of knowledge when it comes to iron history, when it comes to coaching, when it comes to wrestling, you name it. Sure. And I, I mean, he's got a sizable following mm -hmm. of, I don't even know how many, you know, 30,000, 40,000 followers, probably something like that. Okay. But then you click on some 20 year old that did some goofy deadlift and he's got a hundred thousand followers and you're like, what happened here? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's bonkers. It's it crazy. Is absolutely bonkers. You yeah. I mean, know. I remember Zach Evanesh in 2002, 2003 calling me. He was, he was a, I mean, I got into the business full time in 99. So he was one of my first customers. And I remember writing his order handwritten. And I remember like, how do you spell that again? Like that's a strange last name. Is there a dash in there? Yeah. yeah, there's a dash, huh? Oh, okay, cool. You know, but there's no, like, I could go look him up online. It was just this guy, Zach, that would call me, and he had this fun, fun last name, and he would send me, like, random pictures of, like, him picking up rocks in the backyard. And we're like, oh, cool. You know? <laughs> well, he we wouldn't text it because he was like, you know. So, yeah, it's just neat. But I, I love guys like that that yeah. are still relevant and still pushing it forward, and they're getting their due because they've paid their dues. And oh, Zach is a, is a wonderful human and, and great coach. The thing about him, and we didn't even get to this on the episode, so it's almost like a little follow-up, but I, the thing I learned about Zach was that he's a man of initiative. He, I, I mean, he just started calling Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell. Yeah. He didn't know him. He just called, yeah. and then, you know, he mentioned that the lady there would just say, hey, Lou, that, that kid from New Jersey's on the phone. Yeah, Doris. So, exactly. <laughs> so then yeah. Doris would just say, oh, Zach from New Jersey's calling. Because to so, all you kids I mean, it's the there, same that's thing. how we used to do it. <laughs> exactly. So I see it as the same thing with you and with mm -hmm. Sora next with Zach. That, yeah, he's a man of initiative. He's, he's, you know, putting it out there that look what I'm doing, guys. And yeah. it's something that kind of connects all this is that uh, there was a great episode that he put up of, um, I'm blanking on the name of the series right now that he had on his YouTube channel, Zach Evanesh, but he was interviewing your father and your father mm. told a great story about Andy Jackson yeah, and about seeing as a child, Andy Jackson 
and visiting Andy Jackson's house where he produced a lot of his plates and a lot of his equipment mm -hmm. and seeing him actually work and do his thing. And he talked about like all kinds of stuff, the coal shoot and the plates coming in and out and stuff. Yeah. And um, it made me think of you because you grew up in a whole different era than your father. You know, the climate of things had changed in terms of uh, sure. lifting. And, you know, by the time you were getting into it, powerlifting had been much more established as right. a sport. And by that time, Jackson Barbell had you know, stopped producing as much. Mm -hmm. So when you were growing up, what, what, was the, what was the start? Did you just see your dad working out? So then you started working out? I mean, what, was it that simple? Or yeah. what kind yeah, of got you in the gym? Yeah, yeah well, uh, my, my, my mom and dad got divorced when I was a kid. And I lived with my mom. So then I would go and visit my dad, you know, visitation, blah, blah, blah. So when I'd go there, like... You know, he's lifted four days a week for 50-something years. I mean, when I if I was ever at his house and it was 5 o'clock, you're lifting. That's what's happening in the garage, right? You know? and he Some kids they, have dinner they, time, you know? Oh, no, and, it was like... At your house, lifting. it was just a All normal guys part of life. Coming over. Yeah, I mean, he had a whole group of dudes that would come over, and he was kind of the ringleader, and they'd get it, you know? And you learn all that trash talk and that, you know little edging each other and you're doing the whole thing. And, you know, so you kind of learn that culture and I'm a little seven, eight year old kid hanging out. Um, and then, you know, you start playing with pinch gripping plates and you start playing with little stuff, you know, and you're watching these strong men with camaraderie and do hard stuff and cheering for each other and, you know, all that, all that stuff. So like, that's what I got to grow up to. And, you know, in the other side of it, you're talking, that was the mid eighties. So that was the high, like the high water mark of like the action hero WWE. Oh, yeah. Like if you've seen the you know bigger, stronger, bigger, faster, stronger, or bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. Chris, yeah, the bells, is. Mm -hmm. the bells, right? And so like that, we're the same age. So like that's what I grew up with. Like oh, like you know Nikita Koloff was my favorite, and Pops his favorite too. And it was interesting. You know, I, of course, I liked him because Pops liked him, but it, we liked him because he was the most athletically powerful looking one, not the most like bodybuildery whatever like he saw him and he was just yoked traps and big yeah. shoulders and like a back that kind of came in he looked like pizarenko right at the time sure. just like it and and so <laughs> remember like that was because pizarenko strangely enough that was like a name i knew at eight years old i knew who uh alexiev was i remember i had a picture of me in second or third grade like 1985 86 wearing a Lico homestad shirt to school like that people are like, That's what's actually, that weird word? One of the and things like, I was going to ask you is, uh, you know, I'm sure you had friends growing up, but how often <laughs> did you have to explain things like that? Because even Constantly. my children, they, it's funny, the mind of a child and the mindset of a child is that their world is the world everyone must live in right. sometimes. And so even just blobs to bring up something that my children are used to, I'm working right. on blob training and I'm, it's a goal of mine to lift sure. the fat man so i'm working on it now and they see me lifting blobs and they'll go try to lift up i have like a 12 pound shot put and they'll yeah. try to try to mess around with it two-handed and stuff and you know one of my kids said like oh i wonder if so and so and said someone from school has ever lifted a blob and i was like i can almost guarantee they never have like I, <laughs> you know this is not like a mainstream sport yeah they will have zero you know, idea what you're talking about let's just start yeah. with a home gym ask your friend if they have a gym at home and then if they, they say no out? the answer is no to any of these things that your dad yeah. does. so it made me think of you that like you're doing all these things 
did you have to always explain this to always. your friends? I, it was like all the stuff I was into wasn't cool until I was like 23. <laughs> it finally paid off. <laughs> Seriously, no, it really did. Like, that's kind of jokingly, like 1999, I'm 20 years old, 22 years old, graduating from college, getting into the, to the, like, you know, the industry per se. And that was right when human performance, like to the more commercial level was starting to peak. So I kind of got thrown out onto the highway of it with like 15 years, 10 years of experience. And like, you know, as a kid, I knew who Bill Kazmaier and Dave Waddington and, and like, I knew who all those people were. Like, like I actually met them, you know, yeah. I mean, John Brookfield used to come over to the gym that's and I took the original, if you ever saw the picture of John Brookfield and my dad together, I took that picture and I was like nine years old. <laughs> he hands me the camera. I'm just like, uh, you know, so I'm, awesome. I was there when John and my dad met when, when my dad showed John the fir his first number three gripper and showed him the blobs. And then John showed him a couple of things. And you're seeing these two guys that do, were doing a thing that no one was doing. Yeah. Kind of meet each other and go, oh, you're weird like I am. You know? yeah, and, they, and that was—I was just sitting there going, "This is cool," and yeah. you know, then they started talking about Herman Gorner, and, and that was Pops's kind of his guy because he found these old books about Gorner, and yeah, no one in the '80s was talking about lifting axles, and <laughs> uh, yeah. that was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" But I remember talking to Pops. I was like, "What was the hardest lift you ever did?" And and I think he bet his best friend a trip to Charleston, like a like a party weekend. And it was a 550, two fingers and a thumb, double overhand, two inch axle deadlift off a four inch block, yeah, like just... off a four inch deficit. And I was, <laughs> that's like, that was the hardest thing I ever did in my entire life. I thought my fingers were going to pop off. And I was like, yeah. dude, he's like, yeah, and it was a great weekend. It was like, that was the eighties. <laughs> like, we're like, you would literally lift weights to go party, you know? <laughs> but and I'm thinking like, now I'm going, who was doing random weird feats of strength like doing a blob in their in their garage when no one there was no blob there was the first iron man gripper the first number three gripper he closed before it was known as an iron mine gripper yeah it was captains just of crush cap there was no captains of crush. yeah exactly like, it wasn't it CFC. was just it wasn't a, there was no csc it was yeah. thought to be an impossible thing so, yeah. so warren heading made the grippers Randy Strosen sent one to Pops. Pops called him back, said, I closed it. He goes, there's no way you closed it. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I just, I did. And he goes, well, I'm going to, and he, he painted one and sent it to him and said, take a picture so I know it's the right, the same one. It was red. And I remember like taking a picture, like, okay, cool, whatever, <laughs> Pops, like neat, you know? And, but you look back and that was like in the late eighties, there was, he wasn't certified until the early nineties because there was no. There was no certification. There was no nothing. And I know? remember reading that that was an achievement because the certification later was a little different uh, than the way he originally closed it. And I forget off the top of my head the difference. But yeah, so here's what say, it was. It yeah. used to be you just put it in your hand, close it, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think 2001 through three, four, somewhere in there, they had what they call a credit card close. There you go. That's you held like a credit card and you, you like, it had to pass through the gripper handle to keep yeah. people from crushing it down. Yeah. Whenever they set it, it to more keep them from setting it too close, that kind setting of thing. Setting it and, too deep. So yeah. at one point it was pretty cool. He was the, 
first person to ever COC, he was the oldest and he was the last. So when he recertified at 57, he was the first, the last, and the oldest ever to, to do a number three. <laughs> That's um, a cool achievement. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I saw him doing some wild things. Like I saw him do a two a two finger close of the old COCs, 91, 92. Like, so uh, where stuff. is all this stuff? You know, our, like I, I, I was just gonna say, is it right over here? Oh, in like, our, we have a two thousand square foot museum. You gotta come down say, and check it out. The museum it's is bonkers. amazing. I, it's I've bonkers. seen pictures. I've seen tours of it. Zach has yeah. a video, for example. I've seen it, and I do. I, it's on my summer plans this summer to drive down for a weekend. I'm not come, too come far down off. And, I'm in come Pittsburgh. down to Summer Strong and check it out. Like, it's kind of funny. I laugh. I said, now, thankfully, because of gentlemen like yourself that are actually bringing education to it you know I've, I've laughed i was like man i've been moving this crap around since i was a kid <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's on my list actually of things to ask yeah. so when it comes to vintage weights when it comes to you know pieces of things that aren't just something that uh necessarily your father lifted like a, the first fat man blob or something like that but sure. just in general a rare plate what's now considered rare that yeah. uh Sorenex has in the museum you know previous to that, you know, prior to that, I guess I should say, not previous, prior to that, before there was a museum, you know, were you involved in, you know, getting this stuff or were you, you know, what was, what was your connection to any of that? Do you have any, you know, things that you personally liked or that, um, yeah, that's cool. You were into, um, I mean, he's been lifting on pops have been lifting on your deep dish plate since the nineties. And I remember almost every time he would lift on them, he would just, after the set, he'd rack it and he would just kind of go to himself. He goes, I love that sound. Like in, in, in everyone else in the gym would use the old, the standards. Cause that was in the eighties, but like we had one rack in the deep dishes and he, I mean, some of them are 47 and a half pounds. I mean, they're all over the place, but they just have a different ring to them. So I grew up hearing that sound and yeah. I didn't realize he would always tell me how cool they were. He's like, no, those are cool. He's like, never sell those. Don't ever get rid of them. You know, yeah. he's like, those are going to be worth something one day. And I'm like, all right, you got 8 million of them. I move them around every time we have to move, whatever. And so you kind of get it. And you, you kind of see the style and like the panache to them. And then, you know, he would explain to me, hey, when, when they just started powerlifting, they couldn't get enough plates on the bar. So the deep dish went away. And so there was some kind of coolness effect to it. And then yeah. in his office, he would just have like stuff everywhere. It was like walking <laughs> into a like a mad scientist layer, you know, there would just be all these wild collections of things. Cause he's just always loved it, you know? So he bought most of the stuff while well, he's had still some of the same weights he's had since he was 15 years old. Some of the original, yeah, I heard Jackson him mention stuff. a, like a Jackson barbell. He always uses, I heard him mention various things that he's like, yeah. Oh just, yeah. I mean, he has I've the original it. Jackson's yeah. some of the original stuff that he had in high school and college. Um, he has the original, it's a red wooden, uh, display, uh, display rack from Jackson barbell that was actually gifted to us. Uh, and that was the display rack that he used to, he called it the dream rack. He would walk up when he was a kid, when his dad would take him to Jackson, he said all the display barbells were on that rack. And he's like, this was what made me want to be in this industry. He's like, That's I would awesome. just look at this stuff and go like, look at the craftsmanship and the work and, and just, he was like, I just dreamt one day of having one of those bars on here. So it's pretty wild that 60 years later, the yeah. rack is sitting 20 feet yeah. that way. Now you've got the whole yeah. rack. Yeah. Nice. Now the whole rack. And you know, we probably, I would think we probably have the largest Jackson collection in the world. I would think. Well, um, I mean, there's just so many things that, um, whenever I'm researching them, 
sometimes come back to you guys. And you even reached out to me one time. I would posted about uh, Mark Henry lifting the sure. inch and putting it overhead. And you're like, oh, I, I think that's in my office. <laughs> and yeah. There. yeah. Yeah, it was in my office for years. Uh, yeah, exactly. June, June something, 2002. Yeah, he was the first to, to clean and press it. Exactly. Uh, Pops was there. It was the old time strong, a barbell strongman dinner. And then if you, I don't know if you saw the video, maybe you have, he did oh, yeah. that and then he picked it up left-handed, remember, mm-hmm. and brought it across the room and laid it on the table. Which um, <laughs> it's just like, he's bonkers. a showman. He, well, yeah. And, and I believe he was naturally probably the strongest person to walk the planet within a few generations. I have no argument with you uh, yeah. on that. I, I find Mark Henry to be just baffling. Yeah. I mean, he's so impressive in all the things that he's done in multiple different disciplines. When I say he's a showman, I don't just mean his career oh. with professional wrestling. I just mean in the old uh, time strongman style of things that, you know, when sure. I saw that video of him at that mm-hmm. dinner doing that, I mean, you've got you know, just kind of everyday looking people here and there sitting at their tables and out he comes and he puts it overhead and then he sets it on the table with his other hand. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's like such a cool, like he easily could have been in the early 1900s or something like an old time strong. Right. right. So, well, obviously, you know, his mentor and why, you know, oh yeah, I mean, Terry, Todd. You know, so, Terry and Jan, you know, I mean, they, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, unfortunately Terry's gone now, but I used to spend yeah. a lot of time with Terry. I consider him kind of a granddad. And so we would, we would either email or sit on the phone for hours and he would just tell me stories and this and that. And I could only imagine what, how much Mark has heard over the years. I, you know, I would only see Terry a few days a year, but like Mark, you know, they were, you know, he was, he was their parents, you know, Mark was their kid. So all that he learned and just knew, understood the, the, the weight behind things. And that's where I think I had an advantage or I, I don't say advantage, but I appreciate guys like my dad and, Brookfield and, and Steve Jack and, and um, Mark and Terry and Jan. It's like just building weight behind what this stuff means and why. Like it's yeah. not just a heavy weight. It's not just a chunk of metal. You know, this is a set of squat stands that Bob Bednarski missed a 525 jerk and dropped it and that tore the steel right there. But then those same racks were used for the next two decades in the first World Powerlifting Championships. You're like, it's wild. That's just crazy. Like, yeah. as, as I get older, the more I realize, like, those are just artifacts of part of our, you know, our sport. And that's what yeah. we love. And I mean, I love connecting the dots and seeing right. the story of it. And that's why I love, you know, lifting with older stuff. And I mean, I have plenty of modern stuff in my home gym, but sure. I love the vintage weights because I love the something that maybe you know is seen as less valuable or something like that by collectors if it has a good story well it's valuable to me it it could be just run of the mill to anyone walking down the street but if this has a good story behind it you got me i'm in so i mean when you talk about this stuff you're a gentleman running a company that's making power racks who as a child spoke to terry todd who broke Bob Peoples' record, who built yeah. arguably the first power rack in a dirt basement root cellar. Yeah, I so, saw that power rack. You know, yeah. just connecting the dots between those things, it's like, oh, yeah. look at this cool historical lineage going on yeah. uh, just from that perspective. It, so. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I feel I feel so blessed to have, like, just just those greats, those greats and just like, wow, I was born at a time in a at a place where those those things were 
semi-accessible that I didn't really realize how accessible they truly were, you know? And, and again, like at nine years old, knowing her, who Herman Gorner was, like that's yeah. just... And I remember I would wear my Alico Homestad shirt to school and my friends would make fun of it. They call it Elfo Hamstring because they didn't, they didn't know how to pronounce it. They're like, oh, you're wearing your Elfo Hamstring shirt. And I'm like, yeah, man, these are the best weights in the world. They're like, yeah, anyway, you know, and then, you know, and I would come to school, I'd be pumped up and I'm like, you know, hey, I was like, I did a new personal record. They had no idea what that was. Yeah. And then I was like, no, but I deadlifted and they don't know what a deadlift is because it's literally, you know, 1987 yeah. and kids are little. And so they know like curls and their dad does bench press on the DP thing and the thing. And so I'm like, no, exactly. I deadlifted. Like the little you know. shiny chrome tubing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I finally got 132. And they're like, there's, you're lying. There's no way there's 132. I'm like, no, it is. Cause it was 60 kilos. Like, yeah. cause it was kilo. I just, I didn't know. I just knew how to add those, you know? And then so I remember even through high school, people were like, well, how much you lift? I was like, I don't know. I think uh, 177 or whatever it was. And people were like, you're making that up. I'm like, <laughs> okay <laughs> all right sure you know yeah, so you whatever. just yeah it's just it's just the thing it was it was a very Constant. unique uh way to grow up that panned out <laughs> well i mean when you're talking about the greats i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up sly stallone so oh. sylvester stallone he's not known exactly for being a competitive weightlifter but I know he means a lot to you, and he fits in with what you were saying before about, you know, this is the time of the 80s and into the yeah. 90s where, you know, the, these guys in the movies looked like He-Man. They, they, and they did cool things. You know, he was Rambo. He was all these different things. Yeah. So, you know, did you just like Sylvester Stallone in the movies? As 100%. A, and then, you know, the, the follow-up question to it is, when you met him, you know, was... Was that uh, was that the top of the list in terms of meeting people at that time? Because you mentioned all these people you may have met. Just today, you commented on one of my posts. I posted some Dan Lurie plates, and you said, "Oh, I yeah. met him," and it's like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe he met him." You met Dan, so yeah. And the thing is, at the time, I really didn't know who Dan was. We were at an old-time strongman barbell strongman dinner. Pops like, "Oh, Dan Lurie." I was like, "Oh, cool." And he had like a little booth with some Dan Lurie <laughs> stuff, and so we went over and talked to him. And, That's and awesome. those those events were so neat in the early two thousands because it was really like the first class of old time strongmen, you know, that were there, uh, met the, you know, um, uh, uh, Adam met uh, Adam's son, oh. uh, uh, okay. the mighty Adam, uh, met his Adam. son, hung out with, with him, you know, slim, the hammer man. I had dinner with him multiple times. Uh, you know, he told me something one day. It was awesome. We were talking about just, you know, strain and struggle and this and that, like just competing and, you know, and we were sitting there talking and, and, I kind of think how he put it and he was like, you know, that pain, you know, he was talking why a lot of people couldn't do what he could do. And he goes, you know, that pain when you're like struggling and strain, you think every part of your body is going to just burst and tendons are going to pop off and like, you're going to die. He's like, you know, the best people could go there. And I was like, yeah. And he looks at me, he goes, I could live there. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. and I'm like a 22 okay, year old hammer thrower and I'm like I still got chills right now and he just yeah. got right and he just looked at me like 70 something year old man he just looked at me and goes I could live there and I was just like check please we're good man yeah. so, like, I'm just trying to make like, it to the Olympics here yeah man I'm just trying to throw the stupid ball man but I'm terrified right now <laughs> um, that's amazing so like yeah Pops was always you know bringing me to stuff like it's like we gotta go to this thing I'm like okay cool I'll, I'll hang out with you and I look back now I'm like 
and unfortunately, you know, a lot of those those gentlemen are gone, you know, and um, so, you know, going back to what you were saying, so I had the opportunity to meet Stallone 10 or 12 years ago at the Arnold when he got his Lifetime Achievement Award. We were helping with the, we used to do the equipment for the strongman at the Arnold, so we were like backstage and stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, Stallone, this is super cool. <laughs> so, of course, I was like nerdily like, hey, how's it going? You know, shook his yeah. hand. Um, but probably two years ago, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, so a friend of mine, Gunnar Peterson, trains Stallone and has since the 90s, maybe 80s, you know. And we were doing this, this we're playing with this documentary we're doing, and so I, I talked to Gunnar, and I was like, hey, do you think you could would, would Sly sit down with me? He's like, hey, he's coming in the gym tomorrow, 9 o'clock, be here early. I can't promise anything. I'll I'll breach the subject. Maybe he'll say hi. Maybe he'll hang out. Maybe like maybe nothing. And I'd met him probably two or three years before at Gunners, and we got into this like probably fifteen minute discussion about old time strong men oh, and cool. boxers and all this stuff. And he was wildly wildly educated at it, and like unbelievably so. Which is why he's a great you know, playwright. Like, I mean, he could write movies, direct, like he's, he knows what he's talking about. And so, um, so anyway, I'd met him a couple of times. I thought it was super awesome, but well, I'm thinking I, like, oh. I knew that you loved him. So I wanted to ask you yeah. about him because I find it interesting to ask people about, um, who they really may have, like you said, like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Who, who really set them back? Like I asked Ed Cohen, like, well, you know, well, what was it like when you met Franco Colombo, you know, you, you look right, up to him. Right. What was that like? Because it's cool to hear the goat talk about meeting someone he admired. So it's cool to hear you talk about meeting Sylvester Stallone. And I know there's yeah. A so real there. quick, so we were talking. Here's the thing. So we were we were talking, and so finally he comes in. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll, you you want me to talk with you?" And we had cameras set up the whole deal. I've never played this stuff. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll talk to you for a minute." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is awesome." He sits down with me for 45 minutes as a <laughs> podcast. And I'm like losing my crap, you know? So we got talking about, I mean, we're, we're talking about where the ideas for Rambo and Rocky and what were the meta themes and what were the underlying themes and strength and conditioning and physical culture, like all the stuff you could talk about in 45 minutes, you know? Yeah. And then I asked him, I said, what made you want to, to strength train? And he talked about it and he kind of sat back. He goes, when I was nine years old, Hercules Unchained was in the matinee theater. And he goes, I went to the movie by myself. And he goes, and when, when Steve Reeves hit that pose where he's like this, he goes, and it was funny. He, you could see him like getting into the carrot, like just thinking about it. He <laughs> goes, it was like he stood there for four minutes. He goes, it was just burned into my mind. He goes, it was burned in like the masculinity, the muscles, the confidence, like all the stuff I wanted as a kid. He goes, this guy had it. And he goes, and then the scene in, and he later laughed. He goes, that scene was probably about a second and a half long, you know, but he goes, <laughs> yeah. it was burned in. It he, said, I left, he said, I left the theater and I was walking home and I walked past the junkyard and I started picking up heavy stuff in the junkyard because I knew I wanted muscles. Now, whether that's the actual truth, it's a great story, right? Heck yeah. And so we were talking and I, and I kind of laughed and I said, uh, here's an interesting story. I said, I was nine years old. Rambo First Blood Part Two came out. My dad took me to the theater. You walked out on screen, shirt off, scars across the back, super yoked, 
same exact scenario happened to me. <laughs> and, and I said, we left the theater. My father drove me straight to Jeffrey Archery. I bought my first bow that day. We got my first bow that day that I still have. I said, in fact, downstairs in my truck, I have my bow with me. I'm 45 years old. I'm still carrying a bow and I'm lifting weights. And he actually teared up. And I said, you are my Steve Reeves. That's and awesome. he was just like, wow. Yeah. And we had this moment. We kind of looked at each other like, huh, we're kind of passing the torch right now. This is awesome. And How many times we, does he was, get interviewed? Amazing. You know, and so, but he doesn't probably hear something that personal, that meaningful right. and genuine from the person interviewing him. Well, that's what he told me. He's like, man, this was a lot of fun. Like, wow. Like, wow. Because I wasn't like giving him the normal. There's like, hey, man, you changed my life significantly because this is the path that I later took because of you and others like you. But that was that age where it was just like, you know, capable, confident, out thinking, out toughing, out, you know, all out everything, all these insurmountable odds. And I was like, yeah, you know, I believed it. You know, and uh, so it was neat. So I, I, I treasure that experience. Um, you know, how often do you get to tell one of your heroes why? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and honor them in that way. Like, hey, man, now you get to, to have this. Not that he gives a well, shit. Sometimes money. people say the opposite. Like, don't meet your heroes. You don't want right. to know the truth. So it's just cool to hear a story of a, a scenario yeah. where it worked out, where he lived up oh. to where you held him in esteem, you know. It, it really, it really did. It was a, it was a surreal moment. It was like, wow, this just kind of came full circle. And then another time I was at the Terry, I was with Terry and Jan Todd at the Stark Center. And it was kind of cool because Arnold came there for the grand opening of it. Yeah. And he was in the, the, um, if you ever get a chance, go down the Stark Center down in okay. Austin. So he was in one, the one room and I was kind of like looking around at some of the pictures, like it was a Remington picture I was checking out. And and Arnold is in a suit. He was still the governor at that time. He was a suit and with boot, cowboy boots. And he said, he goes, he goes, where's a picture of Randy Matson in here? And no one said anything, but I was a thrower. So I knew who Randy Matson was. And I kind of laughed and he looked across the room. He goes, you know, of this man. And I kind of laughed and go, yeah, I know exactly who that is. I said, 22 meter thrower. I think he was at Texas A&M. I said, he wasn't at Texas, he was Texas A&M. And he was like, you really know who that is? And I said, absolutely. And Arnold and I had this like one V one five minute conversation about throwing. And he told me about when I was a kid, I would read of this, this man named Randy Matson, and he could throw 22 meters and I could only throw 11 meters. And he like, he went, he became a kid again and told me about the javelin and this and that. And he like lived this, like lived out his life as before Arnold. And he was asking what I did. I'm a hammer thrower. And he's asking how I was throwing. And he literally, he goes, and then he goes, I was a glider. But then I went into, he goes, these other men started spinning and he tried to do a spin in cowboy boots and a suit in the museum. And I'm like, I'm losing my crap. Right in front you know? of you, Arnold's <laughs> about to do a, a thrower spin. I'm like, this is the coolest. And Jan Todd's looking across the room at me going like, what is going on? And, and one of the guys like, Arnold, we got to go to this. Okay. And he looks at me and goes, we'll talk later. And I, and he walked off and Jan walked, I mean, she goes, that was incredible. I was like, please tell me you got that on video because that was like the coolest yeah. thing. And of course, oh no one did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, so I got to be both of my, my heroes that time. Since I threw a little bit in high school, I know what you're talking about. But for anyone who doesn't, uh, throwers start with their back to the field. And right. 
basically you hit the middle and then rotate and you're building momentum and sure uh you know i'm probably saying this in a very crude term you probably know much more advanced way to describe this but if you can just imagine arnold in cowboy boots and a suit doing this movement oh my gosh that is around, around million dollar paintings it exactly was the, yeah it was the in the middle of a museum surreal, like you've got to be <laughs> kidding me what is occurring right now it oh, was lots. Like, I would I would kill to have that on video. Gross. One guy said he had it on video. He was going to send it to me, but that's twelve years ago. Pretty probably. Hey, if you're watching this and you still have that on yeah. your phone, yeah. him send it back. Yeah, please. We need <laughs> that this. That would be great. This, be really cool. For posterity's sake, we'll put it in yeah. the uh, Soar Next Museum. It'll yeah. just play on a TV. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, as man. far as um, Stallone, I mean, right away when I started looking into your life, and I was like, oh, he loves Stallone. Well, that makes sense you're really into bow hunting oh there you go you probably watch rambo but i mean yeah. did you hunt with your father as a child as well is that yeah, where that I did. all my, you know so yeah so together. my dad started that you okay. know he's basically it's our life has been like kind of somewhat revolved around the outdoors and strength like those are the two those are the two things that regardless of anything else are going to get a lot of attention and that's just kind of whether that's just in me or that's been bred into me whatever into me like that's most of my activities involve around those two things so well i mean i see some distinct differences with mm -hmm. hunting and lifting that uh and strength that right. you know you, the, the endurance of hunting and i'm not a hunter myself at least an experienced hunter but just the endurance of it when i listen to sure. cameron haynes when i listen to you know some of the things that you've told stories about, I think, oh my gosh, like this is, this is an endurance sport, but where do you see parallels to lifting and powerlifting or sure. any other discipline with? Both? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think they have is the, besides the energy system thing is obviously pretty, that's obvious. I've had to use my maximal strength very few times hunting, um, you know, but that being said, you know, the, the similarities are, delayed gratification like to throw something far or to lift something heavy it's it's who could do it the longest <laughs> generally like who, who doesn't lose interest um you know i'm a pretty good archer i'm a pretty successful hunter because it, i've done it for 30 something years and kind of the same with lifting like and so i kind of one of my strengths are generally if i like something i'm going to just just do it for a long time and I realize eventually I'll get pretty good at it and 10 to 20 to 30 years later I'm pretty good at it and so that's that's where those similarities are really there it's just like oh I don't care I'll go out and shoot my bow 50 times today even if I suck because I remember the first five million times I tried yeah. to clean and it sucked so I know I'll eventually get better at it but then the contrast of it is like it's you know the energy system of like an emotional state like you know lifting i would get amped you know and then hunting i have to like amp myself down so it's oh. like that's the kind of nice I think of that. that's interesting yeah yeah the medicinal characteristic of that is nice it's the yin to the yang like i get to sure. kind of be down because i think if you run that hot so much in that sympathetic nervous system you just burn out so i found even when i was throwing and training if I went fishing or hunting often, I would put in my journals, I'd actually, my performances would increase as long as mm. I was still getting sleep. And my theory at the time was I was doing something that was non-training related. I was, I was, you know, down-regulating. 
I was increasing my dopamine. I was decreasing my, my uh, you know, catabolic stress. And so it's like, okay, this was working. I threw far the weeks that I went fishing. Yeah. And, so and it's interesting. Just, it worked. In yeah, so it was, yeah. It was like the back and forth. But then there's also the times when, let's say, hunting or fishing, something crazy happens that there's an adrenaline spike. So you get to kind of taste both sides of it. And I was talking to Ryan Krauser. I don't know if you know Ryan. He's the world record holding the shot put right now. I threw 76-8 or something ridiculous. Um, and he and I were talking last night about training. And um, he was he was training his his hunting dog while we were on the phone. And <laughs> and so, like, I'm thinking, like, wow, you're the best shot putter that's ever lived. Yeah. And we haven't talked about throwing at all. You're talking about training your hunting dog and bow hunting. I'm like, oh, right, because you have, a, a, you know, what is the samurai? You have to have the gardener side of that, too. Like, Absolutely. There has to be that balance. And I think there's so many athletes or lifters that all they do is that, and they burn themselves out. They're, they're strong as crap for six years until yeah. every, the, it's the high-speed coming part. Everything flies off. So it's interesting. I, I find it cool to people who have that balance in their life. Mm-hmm. Their compare and contrast period there. Um, those are honestly more interesting people to talk to as well because yeah you know, I, mean, I can't talk about squats for the next year i don't think i'd want to so yeah. you know, we'll save it for squat too so yeah, exactly. when it comes to someone i mentioned cameron haynes i noticed sornex has his barbell signature mm-hmm. barbells sure. I, you know just friends with him and he lifts so it all came together what's the story behind those yeah so cameron cameron is one of our one of our athletes like one of our sponsored athletes and mm-hmm. we we had some mutual friends uh kip falks who was a co-founder of under armor introduced us and kip's a hunting buddy of mine he's cam's hunting partner we got talking so we we did a we worked a deal um and i, I like what i like what he does and the way he goes about things. He goes about it unapologetically. He goes at it hard. And I think Cam has a similar messaging that I've lived my life by. Like he just did it. He didn't start good. He just did it for a long freaking time. Yeah. And eventually he's really good, you know? And so that you look at it and you're like, well, that's, it's simple. What as Dan John would say, it, it's simple, not easy. You know, it's like, okay. That's a cool thing. So I, I like that. I like his unrelent, his, his non-relenting. Um, I've gone and I've run and lifted with Cam. And very, he said, like, you know, don't meet your heroes. There's very few people that live up to the legend. Yeah. Cam lives up to the legend. That's like, cool. I've shot with him. And I'm, I would say I'm a better than average shot. I'm not great. And Cam is certainly better than I am at shooting and most most people aren't like I'm pretty good at archery you have to be good good to like spank me yeah. and like he's better than I am which just like okay so we thought you were good you are and we went running and it was like like a child trying to chase a cheetah basically <laughs> um, you know I so we did Mount Pisgah. it was horrible and, and again my <laughs> energy system training is not I'm trying to get into there but like he ran up Pisgah came a third of the way back down and I'm like, you know, tasting battery acid, walking up the hill and he walks up and he's like, Hey man, I'll just walk with you up the hill. And then I, every once in a while he's like, okay, let's start running again. I'm like, I'm going to die if we go up any yeah. faster. Yeah, this is and a- then I remember him looking at me. He goes, you, you asked me why I do this every day at lunch. And I was like, yeah, he goes, if we rounded this corner right now and the bull of a lifetime was at 70 yards, could you make that shot a hundred percent of the time? And I was like, uh, no, he goes, that's why I do this every day. Yeah. 
Okay. And I'm like, okay, so you'll do the hard work. So not only can you shoot extremely well, you're a beast running. And then, you know, like we went back and lifted, like he doesn't deadlift a lot or squat a lot like that stuff. But, you know, he benched 225 for 12 or 15 reps at 158 pounds or whatever he is. And we were bear hunting. I That's much better than the average guy walking down the street. That's for right. sure. Right. I mean, like, okay, you're, you're like NFL level strength. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's strong, you know. But, but I mean, we he, bear- to reference what you said before about meeting uh, gentlemen and him saying that, you know, you, I live there. Well, that's the moment. He lives in. He lives in that he, moment he to make that it. shot. You know, he he does, and he'll he'll put in all of his chips, and still he was strong as we were bear hunting four or five years ago, and he wanted we needed to get a bear out of the woods, and he joked with me. He was like, "Hey, squat down and grab that bear and take it out." And I was like, and I was the strongest weight room guy there, and I was like, "Yeah, I ain't doing that." <laughs> and so we sat there for a minute, and then he was like, "Hey, if I get down, can y'all put it on my shoulders?" I'm thinking this ain't. Like you ain't standing up with this thing. And four of us picked this bear up and put it on his shoulders and he booked it through the woods. And I swear to you, people are like, I was like, that bear was 300 plus pounds. They're like, no, it wasn't. I go, listen, I helped lift it. (laughs) It was heavy as crap. And I was running in front of him, smashing trees down to give him a path. And he carried it probably a hundred yards in two, in two like carries. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're legit. You're yeah, super legit. <laughs> like nothing, no doubt. So. Well, I love strongman lifts and odd objects, yeah. and it doesn't get much more odd than lifting a 300-pound bear and running with it. And so that's running pretty, through the woods, that's yeah, pretty and, uh, badass. If you ask yeah, me. yeah, he, he's a whole different <laughs> animal, man. Like I, I just, I love seeing that excellence, and you know, people that are just about it, right? I mean, there's there's so many there's so many cool strongmen out there and women that are just, you know, they're living it, you know. Um, well, cool. I mean, what stuck out to me, though, when I saw those barbells was that, I don't know, maybe there is another company out there that has a sponsored athlete that's a hunter, but I'm pretty sure Sorenex is the only one. Um, yeah. <laughs> you don't see that too often. So it's just, I think it's no. kind of cool, you know, that uh, you have a hunter as a sponsored athlete. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, he's an athlete. There's no, I mean, there's not a ball involved or a goal, but, exactly. you know, I would, I would honestly, he and I were talking, and he was like, you know, anybody could do it day one through three, day seven, day eight, when you wake up in the mountains and you're tired and you're hungry and your feet hurt and your back hurt. And where's like, who springs out of bed before daylight at that point to go hunt again? Yeah. And I did an elk hunt this past year and one day at 7,000 feet elevation, carrying a pack and walking over deadfall. I personally walked 17 and a half miles. For me, that was just stupid. Like, yeah. I was so screwed up. My feet That's uneven terrain. It's not like you're going oh, for a 17-mile like walk. Logs, like, the whole yeah. thing, brush busting. It's just like, and I've never walked that far. And that was on day three of five. And I remember I got back. I did my pulse oximeter because I just wanted to know, like, oh, I'm at elevation. Like, what are, what are, my, what are my biometrics? I just want to yeah. know, like, how fast can I accommodate to this? And I was laying in bed, and I think my pulse was 91 resting heart rate at laying in bed at 11 o'clock at night. And my pulse oximeter had gone from 97 down to 9, no, right at 90. And they said they put you on oxygen at 91 in the hospital. <laughs> Jeez. So you're and right I'm there. looking, I'm like, uh, this is bad. Like, you know, I'm thinking, like, I'm dying right now, you know? And I remember thinking, I was like, there's dudes that are just, they're going to spring out of bed and go do this tomorrow again, you know? 
But the interesting part sure. was by the end of the week, I, my accommodation started happening. My pulse oximeter started climbing back up. My resting heart rate started dropping. And then I got back home and my, my resting dropped over 10%. Like, so that's the sciencey nerdy stuff that I thought was cool. Like, okay, yeah. if I'm training for this, this is great. Um, but guys like that, they, they have a different level. For sure. I mean, I, I'm a veteran and the first, I guess, two thirds of my career, I was in life support and survival. And um, so I had to train air crew on how to survive occasionally yeah. and stuff like that. I mainly took care of the equipment, but the ladies and gentlemen that trained me when I'd go to survival school were like that. Like, you know, I'd be hoofing it and struggling and huffing and puffing and finally make it to a point that I was supposed to make it to. And yeah, the SEER instructor would be like sitting there eating a peanut butter sandwich, not even sweating. And I'm right. like, what just happened? I, I even in my head was coming up with like conspiracy theories, like maybe some <laughs> other instructor picked them up or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, how does you this know, how, yeah. how is this human being doing these things? So, wow. you know, if, if you have that training, you have that passion, you take that mm -hmm. to the next level. And I could see that with him. So it makes sense to me to be a sponsored athlete. But in terms of passion yeah. and taking things to the next mm -hmm. level, um, you mentioned your throwing career. After that, you got into the Highland Games. And you know, I heard you tell a story about someone commenting to you that, like, you know, you'd be pretty good if you tried. So, you know, taking it to the next level with yeah. the Highland Games yeah. and, and really trying and getting into it. Um, I did a couple episodes with a buddy of mine, Kurt, from the Kurt Locker, about the history of strongmen, but we didn't get too heavy into the Highland Games. So I wanted to ask you... When you were getting into the Highland Games, did you know the history of it at all? Because I know throughout your life, you'd been educated by your father or elsewhere. Yeah, I honestly knew the history of it more than I knew the today of it, if okay. that makes sense. Like, I knew who Donald Denny was, but yeah. I'd never seen Highland Games in person, which is odd. You know, so I'd read all, I mean, we have every Iron Mind Milo magazine since the inception of it. So I'd always read and I'd see Ryan Vieira and all these guys and... Matt Sanford and, you know, Kazmaier and all this, yeah. like I'd seen pictures, but I'd never actually seen it in real life until I did my first Highland games was strangely enough was it was the Wednesday after, um, nine 11. So nine 11, no, nine 11 was on a Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday, is that right? Tuesday yeah. and Saturday was my first Highland games. Cause we, so I competed wow. in the first athletic event after nine 11 in America, which was the Charleston Highland games. So that was my first one. And, um, I remember just like, I was a thrower. I want to go do other throwing things. I get to wear a kilt. This is going to be great. You know, yeah, it's um, a good time. <laughs> it's a good time. Right. Uh, so that was, that was, I mean, I always had, you know, that history of strength. So I knew that side of, but I didn't know anything when I showed up, I knew I would probably be pretty good at the hammer. Cause that's what I did for a living. Everything else, man, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, you know, can you give a little history of the Highland Games or of any of your favorite sure. parts of it? Yeah, so, I mean, the history of the Highland Games, or at least they, the, what, what I researched and they, they had said were, uh, you know, when England was giving uh, Scotland a little bit of a run for their money and kind of get, getting on them a bit, um, they were very oppressive, and so they didn't want the Scottish... Um, training for war or anything like that. So the Scottish would basically train to stay battle ready per se. Um, one of the reasons they would take their agrarian weights and hammers and things because their hammers were a, a sphere because they could hit them on either side on, you know, like a sledgehammer. Yeah. 
tend to take their weights, like a 56 pound weight or 28 pound weight, that was their scale weights. So they would use those for training if they ever wanted to stay battle ready, but then also that became their sport. Um, and so they had what they call a clacknart, which is known as the stone of strength. And so each family would have their own stone, if you remember from Braveheart. So they had their stone and they would go to events and all the men would throw the clacknart and whoever threw the stone the furthest would kind of be known as the man of the house or the man of the clan, you know. Um, another interesting portion of that, if you've ever heard of a, of a, we'll see a Karen or a Karen, uh, I think they call it. So if you look in these uh, small towns in Scotland and some other ones, they'll have these giant piles of rocks right outside yeah. right when you get to the town. You know the story there. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they would go off to war, uh, the men would go off to war. They would take their stone, their family stone, and they'd put it on the pile on their way out. And it was they were putting up their own monument for their life because if they came home, they'd pick their stone up and go home. And if they hadn't, they were literally putting their stone on their last resting place of their that was like I was here. And then so if you went by a, a, a town that had a large pile, that meant they got decimated. Yeah. And, you know, so it was like that always just it's gave me chills heavy, heavy. And so yeah. when you start seeing like or if you ever read um you know the book of stones and strength by steve jack um and it's I like but i will <laughs> it's a it's a great book and actually i took that book with me the first time to scotland when i went and lifted the enver stone and the denny stones and things like that and you know that was again 2007 so a little harder to find things back then and we we literally drove around using a 15 year old book of how to find stones in scotland and got it was pretty cool um, so that, like, I just love the history. I love the weightiness to the whole, the whole, the culture of it. Um, yeah. And so I got to compete in Scotland at the Newtonmore Highland Games, uh, USA wow. versus Scottish team. Uh, so US, we went over there, and I remember they handed me this this hammer. I was like, oh man, this feels great. Like the handle's nice and smooth. And they said, yeah, that handle has lasted. It was like since before World War II. <laughs> Like literally, I said, how the heck, I said, I break two or three handles sometimes in a practice because I throw on hard clay. They're like, the, the soil's awesome out here. They said, this handle has been on this thing for like 50, 60 years. Wow. And I'm thinking like, how many greats have yeah. held this one piece of wood and tried to make it go really far on these grounds? Like, and that just gave me chills. And they told me, they said, the Newton Moore Highland Games never they they did them all the way through the world wars too they said we never stopped it like this was hmm. what we did and yeah. so the thing like wow i got to throw a hammer that hundreds if not thousands of men had gotten to throw and then i i was fortunate enough to break the field record so it was like That's wow cool. i get to like my hands launch this thing further than any yeah. other person ever has here and it was like that was one of those surreal moments that'll bring tears to your eyes and you're sitting on the field looking around the bagpipes and the the wind is going and you're in the middle and you're just like, how am I here? And you're representing your I? country too. So that's yeah, cool. Yeah, itself. exactly. So, I'm, yeah. I'm the, yeah. I'm the team captain of the U S team. I'm looking around going, Oh, that's cool. How, how is this a thing? Like, how do I get to do this? Like yeah. why, like what put me in this, on this field, on this day to enjoy this and, and talk to these people, you know, and these people would come up to you after the, the event. And I, I'm a Arthur uh, Tartan. So, you know, and so people from my clan would come over and offer me whiskey and we would drink together and talk about life, you know, with just Scottish people in a teeny tiny town that rolls up the streets at 6 p.m. 
and I'm thinking, wow, my life is so different than yours. Yeah. And your life is so different than mine. But we're enjoying a beautiful day out here. And we both think it's pretty cool that the bagpipes are going and that this hammer happened to go pretty far today. I mean, it's, uh, man. that's where I think the, you know, finding common ground in that strength culture, it, it's, it, it speaks beyond boundaries a lot of times. Sure for sure oh so. it was amazing probably one of the i need to go back because that was something I, I i definitely hold in my heart part of me doesn't want to go back because it was so perfect in my uh, mind yeah. you don't want to tarnish that <laughs> yeah and actually so that night it was it's probably still one of my top two or three favorite memories ever we were just sornex was just starting to like really grow and start getting frantic i would say frantic hectic is a better word so okay. it was like a lot of inbound calls, the outbound, like you're, you're going, right? So I was there, stressed out, but I trained for months for that game. I threw well at the game. U.S. team won. So I did as, I did as good a job as I could have personally done. My team did great. We made some great friends. We went out that night. We partied with the Scottish people. There was all these people from all over Europe. And this there's this place called the Hall. It was this stone building. And during the week, it was the town hall. During Friday and Saturday night, it was the dance hall. And it was the church on Sunday. Man. It was wild. It was one building. As a and, taxpayer, and that's what I'm looking it for. Was, let's, it was incredible. Let's make use of this. That's it was awesome. amazing. So, like, we're sitting there, and, like, I'd never been around, like, a lot of multicultural. Like, I was a thrower. You'd kind of run into people. But, like, I'd never been in, like, a place where a lot of people didn't speak English. So I'm like... We're in there just dancing and having a great time. And there's you know people from Russia and people from Germany and all this stuff. Everyone's just having yeah. the best time. And like the B the B side songs from all the like American classics, but they're listening to all like the B sides of them, <laughs> of the, the albums, which are just so funny. I'm like, I haven't heard this song since forever. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so we're partying our butts off. We're doing all the fun stuff. So we're like, all right, I got to bounce. Like we're, we're going to, we decided we're going to, throw the next day in yeah. Sterling, which is where um, the William Wallace Memorial is, monument is. Yeah. So like at 2 a.m., I'm like, oh, crap, I got to get out of here. We got to get up at 6 to go throw again. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm walking home. I remember kind of the direction, and I'm walking home. I'm wearing a kilt, and I'm walking through this town that, like, it's it's zero people on the streets. And I, I remember that I could walk this way, but my – Hunter's brain kind of takes the topography. So I'm like, I bet I could cut across this pasture and I could get to my, my bed and breakfast way faster. And I remember I'm climbing over these like rock walls that had been there hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I'm, and I'm walking through this tall, like wet grass because the dew's already falling. Full moon, I could perfectly see like a countryside of the Scottish Highlands. I've done my job. I, like it was like there couldn't be anything more perfect. I remember I stopped and I just looked around, and I remember thinking, I said, "I'm absolutely anonymous. Not one person on this earth knows that I'm right here right now. Yeah. I could do whatever I want, or I could do nothing." And I remember at that point in my life, I had never had that feeling or sensation, and I haven't had it since that yeah. day. We're so connected now all the time yeah yeah i would pay so much money to go back to that frame of mind and go because my phone didn't work out there it was before good phone so i was like no one could find me i'm safe 
but I, I'm not obligated to anything right now. And I remember just sitting there. I was like, I wanted to stay here forever because I met the high, I, like I did everything I was supposed to. I've enjoyed it. And I, there's no bill. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no bill waiting for me on this. And, sure. uh, Man, I, I go back to that place a lot of times in my mind. Well, and, plus, you, uh, you, you painted the picture, uh, the background of it, that you know your working life at that time was heating up, which is a good thing, but on the other hand, a stressful yeah. thing. Oh. And so to have that moment of tranquility in the midst of wow. that explosion in your business was probably refreshing, yeah. to say the least. It was amazing. It was probably 15 years ago, and I haven't had it since. Yeah. Well, so I mean, Sornex, when I look at uh, some of those things, some of the projects that Sornex has had, I, I'm a Pittsburgh boy through and through. So I see my Pitt Panthers on there <laughs> and Sornex did the University of Pittsburgh's gym. Yeah. When I was a kid and even now I'm a huge Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So okay. if I was a kid and Sornex did the Penguins gym and I was you know, the son of the owner of Sornex, I would think, Holy crap, this is amazing. So, you know, as this time is happening and as Sornex is exploding, and I mean, you weren't a kid at the time, you were a young man. So let's rewind a right. little bit before that, when you were more of a, we'll say, a, whatever, middle school teenager coming up through sure. those years. Was there a client that uh, your dad had that you just really, you know, it blew you away? You were, you yeah, were, Garth you were kind Brooks. of set back. Garth Brooks, yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Nice. So that was what, well, when Garth was popping, like 91, oh. 92, when he was the biggest act like on the planet. and things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the whole deal. Yeah, so his his manager, Mickey, who was a former strength coach, called Pops. Actually, Garth called the gym, and and Pops was lifting, and someone was like, hey, uh, so-and-so Brooks is on the phone, and Pops was like, what? And so he comes back from lifting. He's like, hello. And the guy was like, yeah, this is this is Garth Brooks. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> And, and he's like, yeah, my manager, Mickey, said you're the guy to call, and we build me a weight room. And Dad's like, wait, what? So anyway, long story short, we ended up building some stuff for him. When he came to Columbia for his show, <clears throat> he, he just put the gear. We delivered the gear backstage to him, put it all on his, um, his tour bus or whatever. And then he gave us like six front row seats oh, and man. hung out with us. And he tried the number three gripper. Ah, I have a picture of Garth trying the gripper. That's great. How and do? uh it was wild yeah i'll post that someday and uh you know i was like a 15 year old kid when garth is the biggest name on the planet and he oh, hung yeah. out with us for probably 30 or 45 minutes backstage and just talked about lifting and he was a javelin thrower in college oh. so i had just started throwing discus and pops was a really good discus thrower so they yeah. had some similarities and and he was awesome and then he came back couple years later and did the same thing and then uh, i think he got divorced and then he bought another weight room for us for his other house later yeah later on so that was like you know as a, i wasn't a huge sports fan as a kid mm -hmm. but like garth brooks was pretty cool there was some street cred when i got back to school the next day on that one i bet you know front row meeting him the whole deal it was pretty cool yeah, yeah no more yeah, what was it the cool. hamstring shirt <laughs> Yeah, Elfo no, hamstring. Yeah, no more Elfo <laughs> hamstring whenever you're showing them your yeah. Brooks pictures. That's yeah, that great. was pretty wild. Um, yeah, yeah, so that, sometimes cool. it was it was pretty, you know, it was cooler than others. And then, uh, so when I was in seventh grade, Pops and John Brookfield came to my middle school and did a uh, an exhibition where they tore stuff and rolled up pans and, like, 
And so there's kids that might like we're forty something years old now that's still like, dude, I remember when your dad yeah. came to our school and like tore phone books and, ah, and all this, cool. this stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that was like stuff I saw. <laughs> that's classic strong man. I mean, putting on a yeah, performance. Yeah. That is cool. Well, hey, I want to be respectful of your time, Bert, but I got no, one. No, I'm good. I'm having you. a fun time. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. So whatever works for you, I'm having a great time. Awesome. So, you know, I've got to ask about when it comes to uh, Sorenex and yeah. some of the innovations, some of the inventions. We started off the show by talking about the landmine and talking about how you know it came about, where it wasn't really a product per se; it was just something for your training. Whether it's something that came about as a product idea or just straight from training, do you have a favorite innovation over the years that you just really enjoy? Yeah, I would say probably the one I'm most proud of would be like the rig concept. Yeah. Because I, the rig concept slash base camp kind of thing, um, simply because I truly believe that it changed the game of strength equipment. Um, I mean, every company now offers something like that, you know, and what I mean by rig of modular system, a series of uprights, cross members and accessories that pop into holes. Mm -hmm. It's pretty neat to know that, you know, I drew that on a napkin. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's neat. You know, kind of neat, like literally about three drinks deep. And I'm just like, oh, that'd be cool. And I remember like drawing it. And the, my girlfriend at the time, I was like, this will change the strength game. This is cool. <laughs> and I put it in my pocket. And I'm Look like, at this. They're like, this is cool. I think this like, would that's work. That's great, Bert. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, nice. But, um, like that, would that I'm probably, yeah, just because, I mean, we, we built our business on that, you know, and I know, or I feel <clears throat> that even if I was to die today, like there would be fingerprints of that on the industry for a while, you know? So it's, sure. it's something that I think there's some relevancy there that I, you know, I, I kind of appreciate well, you know, imitation is the finest form of flattery. So when you mention other companies and rig systems and things, you know, I, I know that doesn't soothe uh, things financially. But on the other hand, you know, it's nice to know that you were the one who drew it on the napkin. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I kinda, I, I've kind of, I've had some sleepless nights over things yeah. like that. And finally, you're just like, how first world problems is it of me to, like, really? Like, I haven't missed a meal in a while. My kid's have shoes the heat is on you know it's just like okay yeah. and, and it, i think it keeps you hungry it makes you smarter you know should i have patented the rig system when i should have yes i didn't you got to watch the okay. movie glass onion the knives out on netflix i'm not gonna yeah. give anything away i'll just tell you that things are drawn on a napkin and it's central to the plot so oh, okay. <laughs> go watch yeah. go, so, go watch yeah. it it's just a whodunit kind of cool murder mystery that's on there okay and yeah i think uh, i've seen it but i've been I'm flying and they i've seen it i didn't know what it was about so yeah i'll, I'll check it out but the napkin will connect to you you'll be like, okay yeah dang it i should have well, taken that napkin to the trademark office so yeah <laughs> and i know that's not how you file a trademark but speaking of which <laughs> even the name landmine i mean the the origin of the name landmine is because of the explosive of it correct explosive at ground level yeah. yeah, it was so that, that was literally the whole thing. It was like, oh, we're exploding at ground level. Because prior to that, a lot of people were laying down. Like, that was kind of when hammer strength started doing the ground-based stuff. And, like, so you're on your feet. And other people started talking, like, hey, why are we always laying on these benches? If we're athletes, we need to be on our feet. So that was kind of that, well, like, you're on the ground and you're creating explosiveness. 
It was. And mine good, it is. 20, it's a cool name. 20 second thing. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck. So then yeah, it makes me wonder, though, because I'm not well versed in this business side of things or anything like that. I, I see any number of companies, any number of whatever cheap landmines on Amazon called landmines. At what point does it go beyond facial tissues to just people calling it Kleenex? You know, if you get my drift, that, you know, yeah. it's it's not a Sornex brand, but it's called the landmine. Is oh, it, yeah. you know, is that something that just, it was so pervasive that it just legally wasn't worth pursuing or was yeah, it? Yeah, at this know? point, I mean, I don't even know where you'd start them. I mean, we get hacked on, I mean, even things we have patents on, we have to send letters often. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's just like, you know, I'm not a big litigation guy, but at some point it's like you put up a, a fence in your yard so people don't jack up your yard and you gotta, like, you have to fight for it because, you know, I don't want to come up with the next landmine and not get a, a piece of it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a little bit dumb, right? I've just, hopefully I've learned something in 24 years of doing this. Well, um, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's cool if everyone calls a landmine now or whatever, like, great. That's our, our yeah. gift to the world and we made yeah. a few of them in the meantime and glad that it stuck you know i mean what made me think of it was iron mind and the axle uh whenever i was looking into researching the axle for an episode and it was actually the episode yeah. i mentioned mark henry um on their website they had talked about how they technically the axle is their trademark like their their bar that they put out but then it mm. just became too much constantly pursuing people yeah. for using it so now whatever if you're yeah, I could see that because whatever company that just calls it the axle and makes a makes a bar, then so be it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, because I remember when they came out with it was because they had the Pollen's wheels, and then exactly. if you didn't have the wheels, obviously you would have a Pollen's axle. I mean, Strosen was great at coming up with names. Mm -hmm. uh, he was really, really good at it. <clears throat> then of course it gets thrown into a number of places, and you know, I mean, I, I kind of laugh. It's it's I can't be super offended if the people copying my stuff don't even know I made it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's like a thing. I've, I've, I've thought about that. I'm like, man, there's a ton of companies making racks that look like rigs or landmines or glute ham rollers or strap safeties or a myriad of other things that have no idea who Sornex or Burt Soren is. Yeah. Like a little bit of it is frustrating because you're like, man, at least like pay respects if you're not going to pay me. Yeah. But yeah. The, and then the other part of me is like, hat, something, yeah, something, you know, but the other part of me is like, get over yourself. Like, yeah, move sure. on. Like just, I mean, strength know. is a passion, but at the sure. end of the day, you're running a business and it's also putting a roof over your family's head. So you gotta, like you said, <laughs> you gotta yeah. get a piece of the action a little bit. You, you would I, hope, but I mean, you know. as far as what you're saying, it reminds me of a story a buddy of mine told me recently about, an older gentleman came to his place to purchase some used gym equipment. I, I deal a lot in talking with people about the used market yeah. with vintage weights and stuff. And he said, you'll never believe this. I think he's telling the truth. He, he said, I invented the trap bar. And I said, well, what's his name? He said, he, his name's Al Gerard. And I said, well, yeah, you met the inventor of the trap bar. He's like, get out of here. So yeah, I mean, he, yeah. Al Gerard just stopped by his place and saw that he had a home gym and said, yeah, I invented that thing over there. So, That's have you ever? Yeah, and so Gerard isn't pissed off. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's thing, right? so, because how many trap bars are there out there? So, exactly. have you ever been in that position uh, where you did see someone using something, talking about something, and you're like, well, actually, I, 
I came up with that. Yeah, you don't try to like drop that on necessarily <laughs> people, but if it if it comes up, you know, I mean, I I, I probably say. <laughs> Maybe as I'm older, I, I have a little bit more couth and maturity. But if someone like, it's hard when someone like tells you about a landmine one day. Yeah. <laughs> like, <they're> like, <laughs> you're just like, yeah. oh, I went to this great landmine university clinic thing, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't, I yeah, don't know like, what they're I called. Yeah, like, doing stuff with landmines. You're like, yeah, you should look great. into that. Yeah. And so I've kind of just tried to like practice my own uh, maturity and not knee jerk reaction. And, and just go, okay, it's, it's more of just a self-control scenario. Yeah. Um, you know, just to go, okay, you don't always have to be that guy or be right or set the, you don't always have to set the the history right, per se. Like, yeah. it, at some point, you're just going to chase everyone around barking to say, and it's just like, for what? Like, There's guys like me that one of my passions is history and strength history that'll figure it out. So you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> well, and honestly, that was why I was, I've said for years, I was like, man, I wish, and I was like, I would sponsor it just so it would happen. And I said, but I can't because I don't want to be involved. I want it to be what you're doing. I was like, I wish someone cared enough to actually dig because there's so much out there that isn't the way it seems. Oh yeah. But it can't have anything to do with me because then it's slighted and I don't ever want it slighted. I just yeah. want the truth to come out of stuff. Cause man, there's a lot of interesting stories out there. There um, are. So I, I applaud what you're doing and I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I appreciate support as well. Um, I don't know if I can be a sponsored athlete, but I appreciate you coming on here. <laughs> no, your, man, no, it was, I can be your sponsored, I uh, sponsored amateur historian anytime. <laughs> so, cool, I'll, I'll, I would love to have you. I'd love to host you here. I mean, Pops has forgotten more about this stuff than most people oh, alive okay. have ever learned. Um, and we have a ton of stuff here and he could tell you about everything. I mean, thousands of pieces in there. So I think you would very much enjoy it, but there might be I, some stuff that, it. Maybe we fill in some of the blanks for you as well. For sure. I would love it. I heard, um, you know, a very sweet story about your father from uh, a, a, a more of an acquaintance than a friend. We weren't really good friends, but he unfortunately passed away recently. But he, yeah. he told me a story how was that? Uh, back, he was a he was a collector of uh, vintage mm -hmm. weights and he dealt a lot in them and things. And uh, sure. he uh, I'd rather not say his name, but uh, okay. he just his family would feel about things but the the story is just that uh he was a great storyteller and one of his first stories he ever told me because i mean you couldn't talk to this guy about like oh yeah i'll buy that off you for whatever two hundred dollars that's a short conversation it would take two hours to figure that out with him because he'd tell you a 20-minute story about the history of it which i love so i'd be on the phone for hours and hours with him and one of his first big stories about how oh yeah I, blobs you like blobs I, I saw the first blob I ever made. I, I, you know, I have a signed blob from Richard Soar. And I said, oh, really? Like, you got him to sign it? And he's like, yeah, I, I met him. Like, I, I went in there, you know, I'm driving through, and I, I heard about this museum. So I went in, I asked the kid who was working there. I was like, hey, you know, who owns this place? Like, where's, <laughs> where's Pop Soren? And I was just kind of, you know, putting on a front and then the kid took me up there to his office and I spent like the whole day with him and he, he <laughs> you know I won't 
retell his yeah. old story. I don't want to tell another man's complete story, but I just want to mention it as a compliment to you and your okay. family and your father that, you know, that meant so much to this guy talking strength history, talking yeah. about weights and spending that time with him for that day. And he was a stranger for all respects. Yeah. And so when it comes to iron history, finding that common ground means a lot to people because as we mentioned earlier, sometimes you don't know a lot of people with that common ground. <laughs> Yeah, there's not many of us, and and I I very much appreciate that, and you know, and not trying to flex in any way, but like I've seen pops do that hundreds of times, hundreds. I mean, I've seen you know, when there was only two or three of us working at Sornex, he would take an entire day with a stranger that would walk in. I'm looking like as a business model, this is a horrible business model, like, yeah. you know. But he he just loved it. And he's like, you know, strength has given me everything in my life. He goes, it's been the one constant was the weights. And he goes, so I owe it to, I owe the weights everything. And he's like, so if I could inspire someone and share the love that I have with anybody who shares a minuscule amount of the same passion, like that's why we made the museum. I mean, the museum, a lot of collectors, they'll take stuff and, put it away and never like let it see the light of day we put a 2,000 square foot museum in our prime place it's the first thing you walk into you don't walk into Sornex stuff you walk into the museum because we want to show it reverence and and let people lift if you want to I mean Pop still when he deadlifts he lifts on the original Jackson set that's awesome like today like and, and people are like oh my gosh you know how that thing, much that thing's you worth crack the like, plate. yeah <laughs> Because it survived the last 50 years. What am I going to die saying I never got to use it? It's like, no, like now yeah. my DNA is in this thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so it's part of the and story. So, like, it's all to be used. It's all to be, you know, people could come and lift, try to lift the bell that Mark Henry lifted, try to, you know, yeah. lift on the, the squat stands that, that Terry Todd, you know, won the, you know, won the powerlifting championships on and, and, you know, all these, you know, that, that Bednarski lifted on. And I mean, Pops has Bednarski's belt here. Wow. Um, you know, just all these like just crazy things. But it's it's all just a bunch of metal if there's no stories behind it. Exactly. And weights tell a story, you know. They tell a story, but if there, there has to be that depth. There has to be people who cares. There has sure. to be people like yourself that's like digging for the digging for the past and like putting the pieces together as a curator of this otherwise one day you know unfortunately at some point whatever all that stuff that's out there will be thrown away by somebody yeah it will lose value at some point well i mean it sounds grandiose but part part of the reason i love taking some forgotten rusty piece of metal that was in someone's basement for years and forgotten or garage or in the back of a barn where i mean i've found weights all over the place and then not just restoring it but then using it is that i feel like i'm breathing life back into it you know it's it's got a story to tell but i'm also saving it i'm taking it out of obscurity and bringing it back to life and putting it on the bar and lifting it so or getting it to someone that will you know if i trade it or sell it or something yeah you're showing it respect you know yeah, it's it's. Yeah, a, you're, you're, I don't know. It's a. Yeah. I, to some people, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't. <laughs> they'd be like, whatever. It's a great job cleaning off the rust. But, I mean, to me, yeah. it's more than that. It's it's bringing it back to life. And, you know, some of these companies that aren't even around anymore. It's it's cool to think. Oh, look, I'm still using this. I'm gonna put this on my barbell and I'm gonna lift it. Right. Um, and, it, so, and it still does the same thing as it used exactly. to. Exactly. 
you yeah. know, it does what it's supposed to do. And and, and what yeah. a beautiful thing, not saying for trying to personify a weight, but like what something is it's made for in its job, don't don't fire it. Like <laughs> Exactly. Let it do its job. Like a hunting dog wants to hunt. Mm-hmm. A, a, a lifter wants to lift. Like those weights, they want to be lifted. They want to be struggled against. Like that's the cool stuff. Like that's yeah. the beauty yeah. of this whole thing that I think I wish more people would see like the iron game as something much more than big muscles or, or whatever it is. And that's yeah. that's where some of my mentors have drilled that into me, which I think I feel very fortunate that maybe I got it earlier mm-hmm. than most people did well i mean it's a it's an art at times and it's more complex than i think some people um give it credit for and as far yeah. as weights are concerned you know tech and stuff like that's coming into the gym and into the home gym space for sure there's various technologies and i'm asking you about innovations and things that you've made through your career but i'm pretty sure no matter what changes occur that weights barbells racks dumbbells you know just the tried and true are still going to be there and i pray that my children are going to outlive me but i'm 100 percent sure that all these weights are going to outlive me so that's when you talk about the dna being in there i'm sure that the weights that surround me in my gym right now as i speak to you they're going to live longer than i am and i'm going to be part of their story i you know i will have lifted them so hopefully i pray my children will be lifting them (laughs) Yeah, and and if not, you hope someone that'll appreciate them for what they are, you know. And we have a we have a Jackson set out there that I can't remember what gym it was at, but a lot of the the bigs went there. You know, like you start naming off names, and all those folks have lifted those weights. You're like, everyone's sweat and DNA yeah. and effort and intent and passion are in some cellular level in that handle. Yeah. Like that's alive to me. Like that's that's. I mean, I like old guns. I like old knives. I like stuff with stories, you know, and, and that's that passion that you can't, you can't like re-replicate necessarily. And, and like um, Pops became friends with, with Bob, Z- Bob Zuber Jr. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Probably 10 or 12 years ago. And we He's have on, a bunch uh, of Facebook groups and things. And, he is. Yeah, yeah, he sure is. And so uh, I don't know I him got, personally, but I've seen his posts and things. He's great. I haven't spoken yeah. with him in years, but I mean, we've had some long, I mean, he and Pops used to stay on the phone for three hours a day at times and pops went out there and visited him him um gosh 10 12 years ago and hung out. oh it's on sorenex's website i i read uh yeah, when i was doing a little zuver research i actually i read a, a write-up that um robert zuver did about yeah. uh pops visiting so actually i read yeah, that it was it was awesome yeah and just like you know and as a son as a second generation like i am listening to to bob zuver jr mm-hmm. who grew up with a dad i mean my dad always looked up to bob zuver senior and to see the similarities of those two both of them were masters both of them were different they were eccentric they were passionate they were driven they saw things that other people didn't see regardless of how much coaxing had been done they just most people didn't see it because it was so out there. So, I mean, Bob and I had some good cathartic talks of like, what is it like to grow up under the shadow of, I don't want to say a madman, but like of yeah. someone who is definitely a, 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 a 
Da Vinci of the time. Oh yeah. And he's like, he's like, man, he goes, he would have me, he was telling me his, he and his dad would go to uh, Disneyland a couple times a week <laughs> and they would just, just for ideas. Just to look around. Would, just to look around. Oh, that's and then amazing. they would go, they would go to junkyards and he was like, oh yeah, he would have me pull these things back and we would make these just outlandish pieces of equipment. So yeah, there was like yeah. this, this vaudevillian style, this like, Disney East style, like the bigger the better, 1950s, 1960s, just and then there was these like great designs. And and Bob Jr. was like, Yeah, I was the guy who had to weld all that crap. Yeah, exactly. So, he, like, did the... <laughs> he was doing the good like, yeah, work. Dad brought you know? home this uh, guardrail, but I was the guy who had to make it into an incline bench. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so like being able to talk to someone who was had a similar relationship, you know, their dads were their dads were visionaries that saw sure. these things and he was, you know, and especially in his early years, kind of and along for the ride. I'm mixing stories there a little bit. I don't know if Bob Jr. actually had to make the guardrail into incline bench, but I'm pretty sure I read a story there somewhere. I would totally, yeah. That. He was, but, he was telling me about, remember the big door they had at yeah, the yeah. front of the building and it was like 2000 pound mm -hmm. concrete door. And he was telling me how he made the forms <laughs> for it. And like, Which, it was just like, I mean, that's wow. <laughs> A two thousand yeah, pound like, door, just that. Yeah, like who says thought everything. to make a two thousand pound door that was so perfectly balanced, but it was like <laughs> where you had to pull it pretty hard to open it, so there was still like a, a a barrier of entry, literally, that you had to be able to row a certain amount just to open this two thousand pound door, and to dream that up. And again, was this in the fifties or sixties? Yeah, the physical culture community was not robust like it is now there's i mean that was yeah. so far advanced and i mean the world's largest dumbbell and uh was it a gorilla and they had yeah a big, a, uh, i forget the saying but i just posted it the other day on this account on my home gym history instagram um as a follow-up with the uh christ is in all of us something like that a big religious yeah. glowing sign over everything yeah. and, and and i mean i think part of the on one hand, I'm really happy to see so many people, newer people getting interested in older weights and sure. getting into vintage weights. But sometimes I see someone new come in and ask. Uh, and when I say come in, I, it could be into any kind of forum or Facebook or Discord or wherever. And they'll ask, you know, oh, you know, where do I get Zoovers? And, uh, you know, they don't realize that it's like the rarest plates uh, yeah. possible. That's why they're the most valuable. And they're just very distinct. They have the muscular man yeah. on them. So they're sure. extremely unique. But lately, I've started to think like, oh, man, like, I really I don't want the plates to outshine the gym, if that makes sense. Right. Because I, the more I learn about Zuver's gym, it's not that I don't like the plates. I do. It's they're very cool looking plates, but there's so much more. Doctor Ken living oh, in a trailer behind the gym. Back. There's so many stories. Yeah. I mean, how cool is? That? I mean, one of Strength's greatest. Doctor Ken is living in a trailer just so he can work out there. And I mean, he wasn't one of the greatest at the time, but just right. drawing those lines and connections, oh. and you know, just like you were saying, all the people that may have touched this, all the people that may have worked out there. I mean, the greats worked out there. Um, yeah, the first world strongest man used exactly. those Zuber plates, you know, and yep. then but you figure who was involved in that? Seven, somewhere in there. Yeah, it yeah. was was Dougie Edmonds and Terry mm -hmm. Todd and like you know Dave Webster, like yeah. all the same names. And there's a picture of uh, of Bob <sighs> Zuber Senior with like a world strongest man hat on, like at the that I remember yeah. seeing. And I, actually, to bring this full circle, I, I think I remember Bob 
Zuber Jr. posting that hat, like a picture of that hat, yeah. and thinking like, holy crap, there's the hat. Like that was the world's Crazy. strongest man. So. Crazy. Yeah, that's the thing is like you just look, or like I remember him, he said when the gym was really small and he ran a powerlifting team, mm -hmm. and he said the gym got, so, they got so many lifters in there that he said his dad made like a piece of plywood, like a bed that was on a pulley system and he would lay on it and elevate himself over the people in the gym so he could watch from like a like a bird's nest. He said so he wasn't an extra body in the gym. Amazing. Like yeah. that guy was on such a different level. Yeah. It was, it was like you've got to be kidding me. Well, then you start looking like start tying that tree together. Yeah. You know, they were what in Culver City, mm -hmm. California. Well, you know who was right down the road, right? Well, we're we talking about Bill Peanuts West. You got it. Yeah. So what, the original West the Side original West Side, absolutely. That you that used Zuber's plates. Yeah. So they would he had to come the borrow plate. them, right? You got it. He would yeah. borrow the plates, and then of course, you know, Peanuts West is who mm -hmm. who basically came up with the squat suit to an extent, wrapped sheets around, sure. you know, the whole deal. Hasek squat. How loud is that to think about? Like, I, I yeah. would have paid to be a fly on the wall when he's explaining that. Like, all right, listen, <laughs> we're gonna wrap yeah, some sheets around do. you. Like, here's the plan. Yeah. You know. Here's the and then we're gonna we're gonna squat down to this hassock thing <laughs> and we're gonna do this and then and then for years later louis simmons coming yep paying paying respects to peanuts naming west side barbell like there's i would you know i'd give it 98 percent of the people that west side barbell probably don't know that part of the story that's a really good point and i wonder that if um if they know that connection and if they know why yeah. if they know the you know Louis, to the best of my recollection, got you know conjugate from reading about the Russian lifters, but the the Correct. rack work and working in the rack and some like the squat suit and all that stuff, you know, is coming from Bill Peanuts West. So right, um, yeah. And here's an interesting part. Well, and so we know you know Bill Peanuts died basically a pauper. Um, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, died with Man, nothing and was in an unmarked grave for years. Oh. Um, and then a bunch of us kicked in probably 15 years ago and bought him a proper headstone. That's um, cool. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, but, of course, Louie and Doris were some of them, my dad and I, and a couple other like people in that world. Yeah. But you look at, uh, what was that thing? Okay, so then you talk about the power rack. So then you, you switch it back over. So that would have been, you know, the what, the 50s, 60s, Peanuts West, 60s, go across the country to the uh, the Elizabeth YMCA. Do you know any story about that in New Jersey? <sighs> no. Okay. Or at least I can't, so like, I can't bring it right now. Yeah. Okay, so you'll like this. So uh, have you ever heard of tan, the tight tan slacks of Desert Bond? Oh, yes. Yeah. So your uh, father's coach. So that was yeah. Desi. Yeah, Desi, yeah, yeah. Came to the party so Desi, in slacks, was always seen in sweatpants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, you know who else he coached before? The, so this Elizabeth, this random Elizabeth, which is right outside of Newark, okay. New Jersey, YMCA. Dave Draper was training Dave there Draper. when Pops was a high schooler. And then Dave, wow. Pops didn't know it till he and Dave were talking 40 years later. Oh, okay. So he wasn't like in high school looking at Dave Draper training. It was. He was in high school looking later. at Dave Draper, but he was not known as Dave Draper, the gotcha. blonde bomber. Okay. Pops gotcha. just knew him as Big Dave. So he got <laughs> a deal awesome. out, out west and he went over to California, but he was training there. Desi was training him. He went over and became the blonde bomber, Dave Draper. 
Pops was like, yeah, and we never really saw Big Dave after a little, and I'm like, what did he look like? He's a big blonde guy. Yeah. And, and he and Dave were big talking, Dave. and he was like, yeah, you see, and if you could like see the things click, like, holy crap, that was you, you know, like, it was hilarious, you know? So oh, man, there was great. that, and then you ever heard of the name um, Anthony Dottillo? Yes, yes, I have. So Anthony Dottillo and Pops were training partners. Yeah, okay. Back then, so so Tony Dottillo, the original Tony, there's his son. Because his son, was, yeah, right. But an, original Anthony Dottillo lived in a candy shop above the YMCA. Okay. And and so he would come down there. So Desi would train Pops and Dottillo. So one day when Pops was still in high school, he took the power racks. And if you remember, the York power racks are really narrow, right? The they, the, isometric axe, yeah. Correct. That yeah. was that only was about, they, I don't know, maybe a foot, foot and a half. Yeah, very Not narrow. even. Not even. They were made for isometrics. And there's a long story about that, What? why they were made, which I won't get into. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be part two. Yeah. Right. So they had one in the gym. And Pops okay. one day was like, Hey, like, so he took it home to his house and cut it apart and moved it a little bit wider and threw pins in there. Gotcha. He said, everyone got super pissed off and they were like, why'd you mess up our thing? And he was like, well, this yeah. is stupid. We're like, we're not doing yeah. isometrics. We need to train inside this thing. Mm -hmm. So because of that, Anthony Adilla, they said they, one of the guys who worked out with them had these steel rollers mm -hmm. that had like a urethane coating over them. And so they started using them as safeties. Mm. So Dottillo started doing pin presses and a lot of power, uh, power rack work off with doing partials okay. with the rack that my dad as a high schooler made. Yeah. That Dottillo ended up doing a lot of the writing, which caused the, the pin, pr the, uh, the partials and the pin presses yeah. in the powerlifting world came from Anthony Dottillo. Nice. So that was kind of that tree that almost happened by accident. Yeah. And then and then when we were talking to Charles Poliquin years and years later, Poliquin goes, Holy crap, Datillo is who I read that I got all my my start of my principles from. So it was this weird like <laughs> high school Richard Soren yeah. cut apart this power rack that Anthony Datillo wrote all of his all of his articles on that inspired Charles Poliquin that in that took my mentor Judd Logan as a as an athlete, putting through four Olympics, and then I'm getting he's becoming my friend and coach in the two thousands. It was like this is crazy. You know, yeah, like that's the interesting part all of all like, those this weird connections. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. It, I love it. It really is. And I mean I'm just even thinking through like my podcast and I did a history of the power rack but i you know that's a missing chunk right there and I, I it actually did start to come back to me i heard that somewhere about him widening the isometric rack and i was like oh man like i already did my power rack episode yeah. but like, that's ah, all right i'll do a part two yeah, but now yeah. i don't have to you've covered the hireling games for me <laughs> you covered a little bit of the rack history there so we're knocking this out bird i mean yeah yeah I, no i just i just kind of think like especially a gym like that back in the day like a random YMCA gym yeah. and you had like some absolute hammers that came out of there. Well, and just the environment that at a random YMCA gym, it's acceptable for a high school kid to start cutting stuff up and making things. That takes it home and cuts it Yeah, yeah. like I'll bring it back tomorrow. Yeah, he said there was a bench press there that because Pops is tall, has long arms, he kept like almost oversheating the bench. So he took that home and sawed off the top and okay. then drilled a hole in it and then made it adjustable. 
And he was just like, Perfect. everyone, he goes, they almost hung me. He was yeah. like, those older dudes were so pissed off at me for screwing up their bench yeah. until like later they appreciated it adjusted. And then like we were cool again. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, wow, you're like a 16, 17 year old Richard Soren. Like that was the start of Soren. Like, yeah, you're just like, it could be better. I'm going to go do it and I'll ask forgiveness later. I'm going to tinker with this. some. And, you know, I find that sometimes I mentioned this on a previous episode about how when I'm going to buy stuff, my home gym's fairly small. I have just mm-hmm. enough room for a rack and then tons of weights, basically. <laughs> so yeah. whenever I buy someone's old home gym and I basically want the dumbbells or the weights or the barbells. I don't really need the the other stuff, but I do appreciate it sometimes when I find like homemade welded stuff that someone made. So like I bought this old steelworkers gym who here in Pittsburgh being a steelworker is like a fairly common thing when you meet an older gentleman, but he, yeah, he like welded all his own stuff. He he made it all. I mean, he even had, he brought home steel from the mill and made his own plates. So I had these like homemade chunks of steel that I was using for grip work. Uh, so cool. Like, that, yeah, I just it's just kind of neat. Never goes away. Exactly. Like, so people um, just kind of they they think of what they want and they make it happen if they have the skills to do so. So mm-hmm. I think that's cool that even at that age, your dad, like you said, that's the start really of Sornex. He's thinking through. Well, I'm overshooting the bench. What can I do about this? You know, I can solve it. And then yeah. you know, and, and that that he had the courage to do it. I think is crazy. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean, made me laugh before, the image of <laughs> some high school kid, like, cutting up and welding a YMCA's equipment. You know, yeah, my you daughter, one of my daughters is a Y princess, and we go to the Y, you know, and that kind of stuff. It's like, I, you get I don't away think with that's a lot in the 60s. Yeah, I don't think that's happening today. No one's cutting up their <laughs> yeah, stuff. Probably not. Probably oh, not. I mean, we, and I've been to his house when he was a kid. He didn't have, like, a shop. It was, like, a little duplex house in New Jersey. Okay. Like, I don't even know where he would have done it. Like, in the backyard? Yeah. Or like, I'm, just... Well, what about the garage gym you mentioned? Like, you, when you're 7, 8, 5 o'clock is lifting yeah. time. What did that gym look like? Yeah, so we have some old pictures. I need to post some more stuff. Um, it was pretty cool. It was a two-car garage, wood paneling on the walls, carpet, uh, air conditioning. Well, at first it was not. It was just cement floor, you know, the whole normal garage. And I remember finally he made it like pretty good at one point because that, again, funny part, that was the showroom for Sornex was his two car garage. Nice. Um, yeah. So, but, but he, he welded the stuff there. No, cause we, at that point we had a shop. The first it literally he was welding it in the garage and then just lifting on it. Um, so it had rubber mats, this and that. And then, then I think he turned that into a, then it was a garage and then he had his other little, like a bedroom in the house was this little, little lifting place. So then and most then, of the equipment uh, he just made himself in that kind of yeah, like the yeah. gentleman, the, the steel worker I was describing, you know, he just a hundred percent made his own stuff was, other than was, the plates and Jackson sets and things yeah, that he bought yeah. and owned. It, yeah, exactly. And it was like him exploring. Like I remember two or three different methods of each thing working and you could just do <laughs> those or those early days of like, there's an art and we're exploring, we're trying this out and Hey, this pen works. Hey, this doesn't work. And, you know, just neat stuff that, and it was all based on his training. So he would just make it work for him. And then it was like, if, if it was good, it would get added to the cat, the early catalog. Yeah. Of so now um, fast forward, I've seen your home gym, or at least a picture mm-hmm. of it on the sort sure. website. Yeah. It looks a little, looks a little more polished than probably that two car garage. But I also yeah, noticed yeah. 
I noticed two things about it. I noticed that your your rack is very tall. What's you know mm-hmm. what's the inspiration there? Is it just so that you have uh, that height to do overhead lifts and to do the various? I saw the bars on top. And right. Then, uh, the second thing would be the spears. I mean, you have spears <laughs> in your home gym, at least in the picture. So what's <laughs> they were? Uh, yeah. So my old home gym, my first home gym, was a little two car garage. My I never have parked a vehicle in a garage. I had like a, my little fishing boat in there, my little stuff. So my first home gym took up about four feet by two feet. Oh, wow. And, and this was 10 years ago. Yeah. So this is, I had like a rack and I had to like make it fit between the two garage door tracks. Okay. And so I cut, I took tubing, I cut it down. I literally took stuff that was like scratch and dent out of the shop and threw it on the bandsaw and like made it perfectly fit in my one little spot. <laughs> and I mean, it was literally like this yeah. big, that all the weights were I put in set, so all the weights stayed inside of it. Yeah. I put two plates that held a pair of power blocks. Like it was wildly dense. Yeah. And then, so we moved to the new house. We had a little bit of a, I uh, had that building out back. And then so, but I kind of liked, it's, it's so funny. Like I build really, really, really awesome weightlifting equipment for everyone that's like super badass. But like I always, kind of like that same thing pops it. I like kind of exploring stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep these four uprights and just build onto it and just see what I could, what's the least amount of stuff that I could build and make it cool. Okay. Because we're always busy in the shop too. So I never want to like stress the shop for stuff for me. That's true. So I'll just like find scraps and I'll cut them and I'll go, okay guys, weld this up real quick and throw it into powder on uh, your paint and green. Yeah. Throw it, paint it green, you know? And so, <laughs> The rack in my house is literally like, remember that old Johnny Cash song? It's like one piece at a time. Oh yeah. My rack is like a 10 year old one piece at a time. And, yeah. you know, and so then it was like, well, it's too low, but I want it higher. So then I built that art, you know, but then I could climb it up and I have different, you know, heights for, for pull-ups. And then it was, I made an extension, a four foot extension off the top because I had a arm sticking off that I put a rope climb on because I wanted my kids to start climbing the rope. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it just started just growing. It's like, oh, I get a Versa climber. Well, I need to put a Versa climber somewhere. I don't have a wall to mount it on. So I made a bracket that's fit on the back of the rack for the Versa climber. It worked. Usually my stuff's like all the pilot try it outs, prototypes. Sure. And then it worked. And so we're like, oh, cool, making a product. Good. Other people will probably want this. Yeah. And then so it just kept growing. And then we moved, we, we just built a house a year ago. I was going to say, you're like that person in the neighborhood that keeps adding additions to their house. Only it's your rack. You just keep, you know, yeah, adding exactly. additions like, well, we'll put this over here. We'll put this over here. Yeah. Like I have some new jammer arms going on there soon. Our new ones we're about to launch. I have some new stuff that hasn't hit the light of day yet that, you know, yeah. I'll play with and I'll, I'll bang on it for six months and if it works then okay it's good enough for public consumption if it's not it's an interesting idea that i got out of my mind that's the so, uh, r&d department at sornex is <laughs> basically my house well because yeah. otherwise we put it here then everyone either sees it or the sales guys walk in they're like you know next time you notice they're like selling it to a customer i'm like dude like, yeah. like stop they're like, but he liked it i'm like yeah but it's not even a thing yet yeah um that's true so yeah that's my home gym i it i call it the cave and i just I wanted it to do I was going to ask that because things. a lot of people name their home gym. So yours yeah. is the cave? The cave, yeah. Because nice. when I first got there, my kids were little and they called like, they were like, wow, this is like a cave when they walked nice. into the building. And then we're like, it just, my kids were little. They called, let's, let's go to daddy's cave, the cave. And then, you know, I'm sure other people have named theirs the cave, but mine's eh. 
maybe maybe the most popular cave at this it's point. It's your I don't cave, know. you know. It's my cave. There are many caves um, in the world, but this cave is yeah. mine. <laughs> this one is mine, and it and it's like uh, you know people call it the man cave, but I call it the fam cave because yeah. it's like I want to have it. I want it to be a, a place for me to lift. It's a place where I get ready for my, all my adventures. So I'll have tables laid out and pallet racking. So I'll pull stuff. So like I might go and train at night and I might shoot my bow every other set and I'll be packing bags for a hunt and, you know, and lifting at the same time. And I know people are like, oh, you're not that focused. I'm like, I'm 45 years old, man. Like <laughs> I focused a bunch of times lifting. Sometimes I lift so I'm sane, hey. you know, and so... I, uh, I, I, had yeah. a, I had a bin in my home gym of oxalic acid, cleaning plates in between sets yeah. all the time. Like, why not? I mean, I'm, I'm taking nice long rests during this, uh, yeah, exactly. during these sets. I'm just sitting here. I might as well scrub some plates. So I just yeah. picked it up and hauled it in there. Why not? And, and I mean, do all kinds yeah. of stuff. But the current book that I'm reading, sometimes I, I, I'll have a book sitting in there to kind of flip through. Yeah. And I, I'm not reading like intently, but I'll, I'll flip through something and, you know, read a little bit and then come back to it. And then other times, depending on the, the training session, there's nothing. It's just silent. I lift in the morning, so everyone's asleep. Yeah. And that's the duality of um, a home gym, I think, for parents. And I, I, I've been working on a, there'll be a future episode of Home Gym History. I don't know who the guest will be, but um, the theme will be that. It'll be parenthood in the home gym. Because yeah. um, there's a duality there, I think, of this is this is something for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at, at five in the morning when all is quiet and it's just me and my weights, that's like the most peaceful time in my day. But on yes. the other hand, there's such immense joy when my children come in here. And, I mean, when my four-year-old hub lifted a 10-pound uh, weight, that was huge. It was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is amazing. Or, you know. Amazing. Or, yeah. Uh, garage gym competition. I entered all my kids, and they they did they did it all. Now, they may have deadlifted with a wooden dowel and some two-and-a-halves on it, but what the heck, Perfect. you know? Or I think my Perfect. oldest son used a 25-pound curl bar. But, hey, he was okay. really proud to bench press a 25-pound curl bar at the age of whatever, six. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's cool uh, to have the kids in there. But I also yeah. think it's neat that it's equally something just for you. So when it comes right. to your family and the, the being the family cave, um, I don't know how old your kids are, and you don't have to say if you don't like. But yeah, six, eight, and eleven. Okay, so no serious training as of yet. But I mean, what's no. your favorite thing in the home gym with the family, or in the home gym with the kids? Well, lately, so part, part of like what you're saying with the family, I want them to see me struggle and strain habitually. I want them to see, go, oh, daddy takes time for himself to go do something hard. And there's time when he's serious and he's, he's cuddling and playing with us. And there's times when he gets aggressive and does his thing. And that's okay. We can see the duality of that. Then he's going to come over and hug me and play with me. But when he's under the bar, like this is a different thing. So I saw that and it, it made huge impacts on me. Um, I'll be honest, like for Christmas, I bought them some, uh, like, uh, fold out mats. So we have so basically a, a, a wrestling spot in there. Um, and, and so we do a lot of towel wrestling. And so like that's, we have a climbing wall we built on there. So the kids love the climbing wall, but like recently it's been towel wrestling just cause that, that oxytocin and dopamine release of just 
fighting yeah. and everything like that. And it's a fun warm up for me or a cool down. Or sometimes I go like, I'm going to use it for my warm up. And then 30 minutes later, we're still doing, it. I'm like, I don't need to lift today. I'm fine. Like, yeah. again, like, and I hate to say it that way, but it's just like, I'll be all right. Yeah. You know, I'd rather spend time with my kid and, you know, and then, but it, the, the whole key of it is just to let them know how to struggle and that we call we have a thing we did this summer. We call it the strugglers, the strugglers and nice. the strugglers. And so myself, uh, Josh Dobby, who's my marketing manager, uh, Luke Day, who's a strength coach at South Carolina foot football um, and my next door neighbor, we all have kids that are the same age. So we would all come over there which is hilarious. Like, it's like, you know, a bunch of college athletes and a college strength coach or yeah. their coaches. So we the whole point of it was like, we brought all of our kids. We, we would teach them the three things that they would always have to uh, go for were maximum effort, a good attitude and attentiveness. That's what we're trying to teach them. Those are the facets that we're really going for. And the, the strugglers is the whole point of this is to learn to struggle. Well, life is a struggle. You're not trying to get out of the struggle. You're learning to struggle well. And um, and so we will teach them pulling, pressing, hinging, squatting, like the basic motor patterns of things. Mm -hmm. We'll have usually a fun warm-up. Well, have you ever done a Kim's test, a keep in mind, mind test? So like, okay. so we start them off. We'll go over like what are the rules of, you know, kind of go through that. And then I'll have 10 to 12 items laid out on a table with a towel over it. So they come over and I, and it's like, it's hard cause they're little kids. Right. And they looking everywhere. Oh yeah. Now, part of what we're working That's on. That's the attentive part. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll pull it away. I'll start a stopwatch. They have two minutes. No one says anything and you stare and you try to remember, memorize, but also learn the idiosyncrasies of each piece and, and put them in memory. Keep it in memory. K I M keep, keep in mind. We close it off. Then we do the lesson. We do the lesson. We do the exercises. We do an obstacle course. We do all this, you know, physical implementation. Then we come back and we say, who could remember parts of like, what did you remember? Tell me some of the things. And so, okay, I've never done that. That's cool. Trying to build in. Can they remember how many people can remember two things, five things, eight things like they go screwdriver. You're like, okay, tell me more. Uh, Phillips head. Okay. Tell me more. Um, yellow handle okay tell me more short long like you start realizing like there's a lot of descriptors to things and so we're trying to get them to look at details and see something and then have a stressor and then be able to remember it thought being that there will be times in their life that would be a really really helpful thing whether it's in an emergency or something like that so that's the attentiveness or just and so then whatever pursuit they have you know what i mean cool. like and i'm not even talking career i mean at a young right. age whatever pursuit they have it could be some kind of sport some kind of extracurricular activity sure. something in school so yeah right so we do that and then we end it usually if there's a summer we'd end at something aquatic so we would we would swim or we started throwing indoor shot puts at the bottom of the pool and see who could go down and get them you know so we worked on breath then we turned that into breath work we turned that okay. into uh, my, how much is an indoor old, shot put weigh? Uh, I got little ones. I got okay. like little one kilo shots. Oh, okay. And so I'll just dump them in there. But like, but it's still more than just a dive ring, you know? Oh it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, and then, it's you know, a struggle like to my, get that. <laughs> yeah. My 10 year old will come up with like four of them in his hand, try to get them all. In there. But my six year old, you see a little kid, like dive to the bottom, eight foot pool and pick up two shot puts and swim up with no feet. You're like, okay, we're drown proofing this kid. Exactly. Like, you know, and then we'll do, 
like diaphragmatic breathing, mm-hmm. and then we'll see who could walk. I have a actually I have a twenty. I have it post on my social media. My six year old with a twenty pound dumbbell walked walked on the bottom through the eight foot all the way down and back under the under the water, which is like a forty second hold. A yeah. six year old kid carrying a twenty pound dumbbell. That's also which a cool was like thing though, because thing. I'm thinking like, oh, that's like scuba diving. That, that's that's pretty yeah. cool that you weighted yourself cool. down to like. Yeah. yeah, and we're getting, and then we have to teach, you know, we're teaching swim buddies and how do you become a good swim buddy uh-huh. and make sure you're staying fat by someone, being safe. You don't do breath work by yourself. So we do that. We cook at the end of it. We make sure the kids serve each other, and then we make sure the kids clean up, and then they go around and shake everyone's hand and tell them thank you for coming, and they, they shake all the parents' hands, thank you for donating your time to us. Yeah. And so, like, that was a weekly thing we did. Like, so, honestly, that's the coolest thing that's happened in the cave. Like, yeah. to me, that, so. that was, that no, was wait, the this is a weekly thing, thing you did. I was we just going to ask, how week. often are you doing this? We tried to do it every Wednesday. Okay. Every Wednesday throughout the summer. And throughout the summer. Yeah. yeah. Because the kids and are off It was school probably and... an hour and a half to two hours, but you know, and the dads, we were all friends. And so yeah. like we, we would kind of, and the whole thing was like, Hey, if any of these dads are talking, we're all interchangeable. Like we'll get in your butt. I'll get in your butt just as yeah, you yeah. will. And if he's up, like he's cleared hot, you know, it's like, so you're going to respect authority. We're going to be respectful to one another. We'll get done. And then, yeah, four dads. So that way, if one or two can't make it, you're still running the group. Yeah. And, it's nice uh, to be like-minded, cool. you know, it's, yeah. uh, that's a struggle sometimes with youth sports and, uh, sure. because you're not like-minded with, uh, some of the people you might be coaching with or some of the people that, right. uh, might be parents of kids that you are coaching and that you're trying yeah. to press hard work and things like that on so and yeah and you i'm saying you but i'm talking yoked. about myself right now <laughs> yeah that, no, no, you got equally yoked on that one because otherwise people could get a little sideways exactly you know? so that's where i think you know when i'm thinking of myself and coaching some of my kids athletic endeavors and helping coach some of their athletic endeavors the the best experiences that i've had outside of just being there with my kid but in terms of coaching have been with like-minded coaches that Yes. Hey, this guy and I click like we get it like he gets it. He yeah. gets what I'm doing and I get what he's doing. And so I could see that, you know, your father's, but it's a, you're putting them through the paces of this experience. So it's cool to be like minded mm-hmm. and have those same goals and things for your children. Yeah, it, it was. It's, it's awesome. really neat. And you see how different dads, how they parent and how they coach. And you're like, oh, man, his attentiveness is really good there. Like, wow, I would have got pissed off and he's <laughs> cool. And then you get to back his play and you're like, okay, I'm learning from this. Or like, you know, when the kids are swimming at the end of it, you're kind of all talking, debriefing his dad. You're like, hey, I saw how so-and-so did that. Like, good job on that, how you stepped in. And like, we debrief and we're cooking and kind of hanging out with his dads. It's like, my opinion, I don't have a lot of time to just screw around. So like, I'll be honest, like just sitting around watching TV or watching a ball game and getting like a bunch of beers in me, like I've done that Thing. I'm not really interested in it. So like if we're going to do something, let's like tie it into like, let's all being better and confiding in each other. Like, Hey, you know, I totally yelled at my kids earlier. I know we're trying to do yeah. this awesome thing. I totally act like an ass earlier. And you're like, yeah, yeah well, Hey, like hold, yeah. hold each other accountable and do that. So I don't know. It's kind of like more of a village mentality of parenting sure. and just, and really looking at like where we view like American youth today. You know, that's a big, a big portion of it because youth is different than it was when we were kids. And yeah, that's, I brought him up earlier, but he's on my mind because I just spoke to him 
last week, uh, Zach Abinash, or two weeks ago, he's sure. really big on that. And I asked him, like, what, so what's your, you know, what's changed? What's, what's different? And that's what he said is that, well, the kids have changed. Like, when they come into my gym, I got to have a lot of lighter touch, basically, is what he said. A, a lighter approach yeah. to things sometimes because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get them there. They're not coming into that, to the gym as right. tough and as strong as they used to be. It's my job to make them. Right tougher and stronger so you hate to say it you're right and the, the bad part is is there's no easy way to do it there's no you can't you can't nice them into being tough yeah like, that's, well, that's that's kind of the, the bear of it right i like the name the strugglers for that reason and like <laughs> you were saying you know your kids seeing you struggle with something and seeing that mm -hmm. like in my home gym i have a uh, my platform is raised where my rack is and then i because the price of wood was like astronomical whenever I put this in uh, about a year and a half ago I was like wow I don't really need to have it all the way across it's turned out to be one of my favorite things about my gym because it is a family rule like if I'm in the middle of a lift you do not come on the platform and it started cool. as like a, a safety thing I didn't want to yeah. you know be sure. looking out at a corner of my eye at a two-year-old wandering around beneath the right. barbell but now it's become more of a teaching of a respect thing that you have to ask to come on the platform and that if you step on a platform, it's time to lift. So, you know, I've got yes. like a, I've got a 16 pound Atlas stone and a guy was just laughing when he came into my gym, like, what the heck's this for? And I said, that's my four year old's PR. Like he's, he lifts that exactly. 16 pounder and he puts it over the bar and I put the bar in lower for him, you know, and it's fun. Yeah. That's just as important as your PR. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like, huge. It I mean, he was proud of himself, he, yes. you know, and no, I, I, I can confidently say no other four-year-old in our community has lifted an Atlas stone. So I was proud of him as a father. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, I've always believed in, like, having the most extraordinary experience you can at life is one of the, my goals in life is just, extra, if, if what you would think life is going to be and mediocre, and I don't mean money, I don't mean any of that, like, what is the expected outcome? I want to be as far above that as possible in the level of experience. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that. Like, you know, most parents aren't having their kids do a 16-pound Atlas stone. I bet your kid loved it. He loved the affection and the positive atmosphere that you provided him because of that. He's he's now felt struggle and strain just a little bit sooner. Yeah. And, you know, I remember pinching, pinch gripping two five-pound plates when I was... Oh, I, I can't, honestly, I can't remember. I should say it. I was too old, young to remember two, three, yeah, maybe, yeah. uh, you know, and pop said, I kept trying it, kept trying it, kept trying it. And I finally did it. I went to pit, did it. And it pinched my skin mm. and I picked it, you know, and it pinched it. And I, and he said, I threw it down and I just got <laughs> mad and, ah! and I picked it up and I finally did it. And then I threw it down after but I remember like, Oh, at two or three, I got like, Oh, there's that level. Yeah. Like you could just get mad and you do some hyped stuff. up. Yeah. And hyped up and it's like you can't teach that you just have to yeah. experience that until you're like oh i'm frustrated to the point that this is a thing and like that was probably the first rep of my life that pushed me in that direction sure. um like all the smaller you know, so, roundheads, the ones oh, the twos the threes the fours oh, are yeah i don't know they're collectively value but they're priceless to me because those are my children's like they they look exactly yes. like the ones i lift and it's perfect. They come in and they can challenge They're themselves. Great. I can say, hey, yeah. you were doing two pounders, you know. Well, well, 
Try a three pounder. I need to get Give it a shot. Back in the house. Yeah, I need to get those back in my house. My kids will dig those. I forgot okay. about. Them. I mean, they could come to the gym and mess with them. Um, so real quick about the strugglers. So yeah, go ahead. We named them the strugglers. We named them the strugglers, and it was pretty funny. So like second or third workout in, one of the kids next door, I love him to death, super smart kid. He was like, "Hey, Mr. Burke." So when we get like to the next, like when we get better, can we get to like the next level? Can like we change our name from like the strugglers to like like the almost theirs or something <laughs> like that? I, which I thought was so cute and funny. And I, I got thinking about it. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I was like, all right, we're going about to have a lesson. And I was like, who here, who here believes that what believes or believes one day you'll met, you'll meet the girl of your dreams. You'll get the job of your dreams and you'll live happily ever after. And like all the dads raised their hand, all the kids raised their hand. I was like, it's a lie. It's a lie. And everyone started dying laughing. I was like, there is no happily thereafter. There is no perfect life. There is no perfect. I love my wife to death. There's no, like, but it doesn't make life perfect or easy. Owning Sornex doesn't make my life perfect or easy. And, and I was like, Luke Day is a strength and conditioning coach for the University of South Carolina. It doesn't make, he still has struggles. I have struggles every day. You have struggles. We all have different struggles. They just, they have different categories and maybe more zeros behind their name at yeah, times exactly. at different levels. I was like, so the thing is, no, we're not. We're never going to change our name from the strugglers. That's the point of this. We will learn how to struggle well in life. We will always be strugglers. I'm a struggler. You're a struggle. We are the strugglers. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And everyone's like, cool, got it. So we're hey, struggling is a choice, you know, and it's, yeah. you don't have to, <laughs> you know, well, maybe you force your kids to, but I just yeah. mean philosophically to struggle is to choose to face adversity, you yeah. know? So yeah. seeing the name the struggle or give up really exactly. the other two options. So seeing the name yeah. as a continuous process makes sense yeah. to me. You know, you yeah, sold me cool. on the strugglers. I'm ready to buy the t-shirt. So <laughs> yeah, we, we we do need to make a strugglers t-shirt, uh, and maybe heck, maybe we'll have like chapters of strugglers. There you like, go. It is pretty freaking cool. Like, it's getting they, a little I, fight I, I clubby, know. but you know, it's okay. <laughs> the first thing about strugglers is all strugglers. Yeah, is that you don't change the name from the strugglers. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be the almost there. You're not it's almost there. Out. You're never almost yeah. there. You're always You're never struggling. almost there. Yeah, it, it was, it's, it's pretty cool though. Yeah. Like, and if and if if nothing else, if we could teach our kids that that's that that's a thing, and the early we could teach them, like, wow. then it's worth it. I think the best I can give my children would be opportunities, but I can't do it for them. You know, right? So they've got to make the choice to struggle. Like I, in sure. the bounds of the opportunities that I can give them, and yeah, you know, I think that's important to show children that so i think this the strugglers i think it's great i like it i might say you might have just founded a pittsburgh chapter I've, i mean hey, we have a fantasy you know, football cool league that we started be, right? so in my neighborhood oh, how cool would that be because you figure if you had like what if you had groups of dads yeah. that were basically like pouring into their kids with with a common thread of you know attentiveness you know attitude and effort mm -hmm. like I mean, make up your own stuff after that. I mean, I'm not trying to run this thing, but you get what I'm saying. Like, and, and if we all were able to learn from each other, like, because it was interesting. You, you're looking at two or three other successful people, two of us business owners, one a high-end manager and one a, a SEC strength coach. 
and for everyone to laugh when, when it was like, hey, who think, believes that their life would be easy after that? And everyone raised their hand and everyone just went, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, the, the, it is a fairy tale. That's not a thing. Sure. And if I, you hold on to that fairy tale, it's just for sure you're missing it. Like Garage Gym Radio produces this podcast and um, that's shout out to them. Yeah. Shout out to them for producing this podcast. And Jake does his own podcast, Garage Gym Experiment, and he's had roundtable discussions mm-hmm. with uh, company owners and things. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that's you know, hit home is that nothing's cushy. It's 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 a grind and it sounds like it. I don't know it firsthand. I don't own a company, but it, it, like you said, everyone has their their own struggles, has their own things that they're facing. I I like your three, I don't even know what the values, I guess you'd call them, the three values of the strugglers. For years, I, well, I started out, I used to tell my children, I'd say the same two things before they'd go out on the field or before they'd go to school, before anything, basically. It became like my two things were play hard, have fun. You know, play hard, yeah. have fun. But then it morphed into play hard and you'll have fun because I started oh, I like to, I started to just kind of talk through with my oldest child that like, well, wait, if, you know, if you're giving it everything you got, it's going to be fun. I'm sure that drill was tough, but give it what you got and you'll have fun, you know? Yeah. So play hard like and that. you will have fun is what it became. So I've only got yeah. one value that I say to them before they go out there, but all the other things get tied into listening to your coach yeah. and things like that. So this, the True. things that you mentioned as far as like, hey, no matter what dad is speaking, and, uh, you know, the, the common ideals, I, I'm in. I, I, think, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I got to look into it. I might try to morph my fantasy football league that I started. It was a, <laughs> it's a father-son fantasy football league, parent-child fantasy football league that was oh, a lot cool. of fun where we, we let the kids just do what they're going to do, all these eight-year-old boys. Right. So, oh, oh my geez. gosh, we had some some wild draft picks going on. and I can only imagine. I mean, the being the commissioner, I had to screen the trade requests, and that was even crazier. <laughs> all the trades coming in. I mean, I was like, wait, what are you trading for this guy? Like, why do you like him? No, no. I don't care if he has the same number as you. You're not going to trade away your number one pick. Like, what are you doing? Right. So, oh, yeah, it was definitely. a wild time. We're going to actually this weekend we're having like a season end kind of party to present the trophy to the winners. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, just kind of get together. So, yeah, maybe I'll morph yeah. it into like, hey, guys, this summer. Welcome yeah. to the strugglers. Because <laughs> like, I have a lot of odd object implements and things. I, sure. I got. I can have the kids doing some farmer cares and things. And yeah. if their dads are oh, supervising yeah. and helping them, you know, I've got, well, like the, I mentioned, the Atlas Stones. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's just as long as you make it fun. But the cool part is, is with those three tenants, we kind of learned that we could always after action with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and you could, you could always call out like, hey, you know, Ezra was showing, like when Ezra did this today, which of the three tenants would that be? So then the kids have to kind of think through it. Like, hey, when, when we told him to do this and he did it right away and he remembered it, was that effort, was that attitude, or was that attentiveness? Oh, that was attentiveness. Oh, cool, he remembered that. So like, start building in, like, what does that really mean? Because I think sometimes everyone throws out these integrity, like, what does that really mean? Yeah. Like, what do are you we, really give get me an it? Example. Yeah. <laughs> give me an example of that. So like, and then what I found was cool from a parenting side, I was able to have that vernacular understood in context. So I'm driving down the road and my kids being a butt, I go, hey buddy, uh, let's check your attitude right now. And the attitude is one, I was like, your effort's doing pretty good. 
your attentiveness, you listened right away, but your attitude. So like, then he knows like, these are pillars. I'm falling short on one of the pillars and I've already agreed to, like the agreement we've made is we don't fall short on these pillars. Yeah. So yeah. then we could, in a sober moment, we all agree these are good things. You're showing me the opposite of that right now on one or more. Let's talk about why that's happening. And um, so it's it's been nice because now now the kids are starting to have like a little bit of context to it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it's like we were talking about earlier where, you know, well, it's, you go to school and no one even knows what your T-shirt is and things like that. <laughs> it, it, I'm sure your children, after being into strugglers, they go to school and although some of their classmates may not have the same right. experiences and things, sure. those tenants probably stick with them. And, you know, just right. like lifting and putting in the reps, you're putting in those mental kind of reps and experiences yeah. that hopefully will habitually come back to them in the best of ways. I hope so. I mean, I would, I, I think you, you, you run the, the, the drill enough times, something exactly. has to stick, you know, and, exactly. and, and we try to teach them like the whole thing, like, every have an intent like everything has an intent like when we eat breakfast it was like hey guys like what is this is this a protein a fat a carb like we just kind of do those little experiments through the whole day. and now my six-year-old like my daughter will pick up a, a muffin and my six-year-old's like you got to eat protein with that like yeah. you have to balance it out get a meat stick or something and just yeah. like oh cool you're getting it <laughs> and you know and now i find it funny because we i hunt and, and my kids eat game a lot yeah Every, every meat we eat, they always ask, well, what is this? Is this elk or is this deer or is this hogs? And I was like, ah, this is elk today. They're like, all right, cool. And I was just told them yesterday morning, I was like, how, I was like, you don't understand. You eating elk steaks for breakfast is rather rare. Yeah. Like that's not something that a normal six-year-old is doing. Yeah. It's not a regular <laughs> thing. I said, but here's the thing. It's a superfood and it's super healthy for you. And, and mommy and daddy care so much about you we're trying to yeah. i know it, it's not fun eating you know you know for bread for dinner eating brussels sprouts jasmine rice and elk steaks <laughs> like that's what my six-year-old had last night and i let him but he's like oh this is really good i go finally we've made this really good i was like we could have given you anything in your first years of life and that would have been easier on us oh yeah i was like but, but because we like can but also because we like we'll do the hard things like and then my kids know i didn't drive them crazy i'll go i'll just say hard things hard things make hard things and they'll go make us stronger nice. like they just know that is the thing you know that's right and so I go, yeah mommy and daddy did the hard things we made you guys eat these foods because if we could if you know these things are good for your body and you notice you guys don't get very sick you notice you're very fast and you're very strong and you're all the things are cool because yeah, we could have given you a lot of things would have made it real easy to make you eat, exactly. but we're going to do the hard things first because we want you to be with us for a long time to be able to do these things. Play hard and you'll have fun. You know, it, so right? you right? got to do those hard hands. things and then you'll have fun. Hard things make us stronger. They That's do. The I like it. I like it. I'm going to yeah. roll that in. Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it, we're talking a lot about parenthood. I think it'd be cool to end out on, I mean, you're the son of Richard Soren. You have chosen to pursue, uh, you know, this path that your father laid out before you and continue that path and continue the family business. Was that 
known to you throughout college that like this is something I want to do or you said you took the full-time job after college was that a placeholder mm -hmm. at the time like well I'll work at the company for a while before I get on my feet like you know what was the right. shape of things for you in terms of your life sure. outlook uh life outlook in high school was go to college and live out the 80s college movies nice like that was nice. basically what I thought it was yeah. like uh, there was not a lot of ambition. I always knew life I wanted to be extraordinary and interesting. I just didn't know the path of how to do that. I always enjoyed lifting, but not like love, loved it. I got to college and through a, a wild Forrest Gumpian-like set of interesting things, I ended up on the track team, had a good career. And there's where I fell in love with training and like what that does. Working out so. in the gym, I heard this story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, uh, we'll do that on a different podcast. I was going to say, it's a, it's a longer story, but I'll it's just a say, story. I'm aware of the Forrest Gumpian time of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it is Forrest it Gumpian. That's a great Forrest way to describe, yeah, Spirit, describe yeah. So, but during that time, yeah. I fell, I went from liking lifting to falling in love with lifting gotcha. to where it was physical and human performance was like 98% of what was in my brain at all times. Like, that was it. I just, I saw, they started to click. I started understanding it. I started seeing the cause and effect. I realized hard things made me stronger. I wanted to eat hard things as fast and as quick as I could because I knew I wanted to be stronger. I got addicted to it. I got addicted to being stronger every four weeks. Yeah. I got addicted yeah. to PRs. I got addicted to, I input effort, amazing things shoot out the other end. And that was, that was the economy that was built into my hard drive that 17 through 22 years old, it was like, oh, I figured out how this works, this being life. Now, of course, I still had to learn a lot, but the basics of it were pretty on, you know? Um, a lot of people that age that don't figure out things, so it's it's a well, blessing and a fortunate thing that you oh, did, you know? Well, yeah, and exactly. And if I had to learn it through such an obscure sport as hammer throwing, <laughs> yeah. great. Right. And yeah. so that that kind of built that framework. And so about halfway through my college career, because I hadn't really thought of what I wanted to do. And about halfway through it, I was like, man, I really love lifting weights. I really love the iron game. I really this is something I want to be in. And it's like, you know, you don't have to be a Bart Simpson to, to figure out, like, I want to be in the strength world. Oh, dad owns a strength company. Yeah. I grew up around it. Shortest path is probably just doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so my, you know, I got out my, my number one goal to start wasn't necessarily to set the training world on fire or anything. It was to help dad. He was stressed out. He was running a one man show. All right. I'm his helper. What now? What? Like, what can I help? What can I take off of your plate? You know? And then yeah. about a year or two yeah. into it, I started seeing through clear eyes and going, you know, fresh eyes see far and you kind of go. Huh, maybe instead of you taking something to the post office every day, like maybe I'll set up a like FedEx account. <laughs> you know, like, but sometimes it's literally that simple. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. why don't we get a dedicated fax line instead of like when people call us, they hear like anything. <laughs> like, those are some of the stupidly simple ones. Yeah, but, but I mean, it was just routine probably and busy life. It was, this is how we do it and, yeah. you know, a certain age or whatever. And so like I started doing things like that, adding additional value and coming up with a couple things. Nice. And, and, um, so at that point I was like, Oh, this is, this is like what I'm going to do. Like, I really like this. This is great. Yeah. Um, and then 
you know, you start getting fulfillment and starting building an identity of who you are in the ecosystem and where your value proposition could be. And you wake up 20 something years later and you don't know anything else. And that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> you just go, this is what I do. Exactly. Like, it becomes who you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so funny. People go like, what's your exit strategy? Like other business meeting, business people will meet like, what's your exit strategy? I'm like, <laughs> from my life from what, yeah like what am i gonna go do yeah. like but i i really it's wild i'm like uh i don't even they're like you know like you build up the business and you sell it and i'm like <laughs> then what yeah. like okay that doesn't make sense and so people look at me like i'm insane because i'm just like no that's like this is what i do okay move on <laughs> yeah i mean and i'm not saying you have to work until the day you die but i think there's yeah, i don't know we will I won't go into depth here, but I'll just say that there are more than one company that when the original owner didn't pass it on and wasn't able to pass it on, even not even to a family member, but at least to an heir apparent, we'll phrase it that way, that sure. company did not do well. And if it's still around, it's not respected like it used to be. So I think, sure. it, you know, I won't speak for your father, but I'd take a wild guess that he probably feels pretty good knowing that you're involved. You know, so I hope he does. Cool. He, he says he is. And that's that's, you know, in part, there's a lot of pride there. Like, exactly. I realize, you know, yes, I've helped it make the business make improvements. But the first 19 years, it was him swinging the sword by himself. And I'm not so so foolish to think that what I did could be any bit possible with what, what he did at a harder time that was more uncertain with less support and all this other stuff. So you know, I promised him a long time ago that I would do as best I can for him while he's still here to thank him for the opportunity he gave me. Because without him, I ha I would have no opportunity to do any of this stuff and I wouldn't matter at all in this space or it would have been a long, long road. So, you know, that that's one of the big goals is like, hey, I want to I want to show you what my vision of this is while you're still here so you can enjoy this with me. Let's enjoy this ride together. Like, you know, there isn't a number. We don't have a number. People are like, well, what's your number? If someone goes, there is not a number. <laughs> what's the exit like, strategy? Yeah, yeah. There is there. No, this is, this is what we do. And, you know, and I, now I hope and pray that there will be someday an heir apparent. There will be one of my kids would be the best, um, obvious choice. Uh, probably going to be my daughter. She's hard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, but if there's not, we'll look at it then. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I choose not to run it like, um, you know, well, I'll go to 55 and then I'll see what happens. Like, yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in life. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy with what it is and what we're doing. And I, and I believe in I still believe in the mission. I still believe we could make some changes in the strength world that the world hasn't seen. And as long as that's there, then I'll keep showing up to work. Heck, yeah. Well, I don't have an exit strategy here because I'd, I'd like to stay in contact. I'd like to uh, definitely make it down there to see the museum, put something up on my you. Vintage Weights PGH channel or do a home gym history yeah. there, something of that effect, or just come under the radar and enjoy it myself. So, you know, either I'd way, love, I'll I'd enjoy love to it. have you. You can stay, at, you can stay yeah. at the house. I'd love to host you. Uh, we have the uh, museum. You can play hang out in the cave we have a, a a library upstairs i jokingly call it all the strength stuff that isn't on the internet 
Nice. Um, we have hundreds of books that Pops has uh, collected for since he was a kid, like I his original strip. Yeah, and that's why we have it there because we want people to be able to come and sit there and have a, a cup of coffee for a few hours and just read stuff that you can't read anywhere else. And first editions, and you know, a lot of memorabilia. I mean, this stuff doesn't doesn't live if people aren't breathing air and breathing life into it, you know. And and so. We would love for you to come, and, and um, I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to hear what you think, and let's let's do some videos and do some let's cool do stuff it. and talk some. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Bert, and, yeah, please, listeners, check out Sornex.com. There's so much content on there to explore and take a look at their products, but also take a look at the history they have on there and some of their other media files and podcasts and things that you can click on. And, of course, I am Rob. Vintage Weights PGH, and this is Home Gym History, produced by Garage Gym Radio. Thank you so much, Bert. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Rob.